Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, all theater lovers, both out and proud and on the DL. Welcome back to Broadway Breakdown, a podcast that discusses the history and legacy of American theater's most exclusive address, Broadway. This series is called The Big Move. It is covering shows that had such success off Broadway, they had to transfer to the Great White Way and try some luck over there. Uh, I am your host, Matt Koplick, the least famous and most uh, opinionated of all the Broadway podcast hosts. And with me today is an alum of the pod. Uh, you might have seen him on Broadway in Carousel or Into the Woods. You might have seen him across the country in My Fair Lady or King and I or soon to be again in Into the Woods. Actually, I think by the time this episode comes out, you will be on tour. Uh, please welcome back Sam Sivak. Hey, thanks for having me, Matt. Nice to be back. Nice to have you back. It's been it's been a minute. The, everything has changed so much since you were last on. Oh, so much. So much. Yeah, I think last time last time I was we were mid pandemic when we taped that. Oh right? yeah, yeah, we were we were we were balls deep in the pandemic still. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, since we last spoke, I mean, I know I've gotten more famous. You've gotten more famous. So it's like it's just <laughs> up and up. <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I don't even know what to do with myself anymore. I like I go out on the street and I get mobbed. And I know. Yeah. yeah. Then I put on clothes and people leave me alone. But usually, <laughs> anyway, bada bing, bada boom. So what musical? are we talking about today oh today we're talking about avenue q one of my one of my favorites um i don't know that about you you know this this actually i'm so glad that you know you offered me up a whole list of of, of shows and i was like oh you know i haven't thought about avenue q in a long time let's do avenue q and uh then you sent me all the all the materials to like oh let's get ready for this and i was listening to it and it just took me right back to uh an era in my life this is like high school when I would go to the record store, uh, buy a cast recording on CD and go home, listen to it front to back 
open up the booklet and read the lyrics along with the with the score and that that uh this was one of those shows along with assassins and what else the good man charlie brown miss saigon there were a bunch of these but uh this brought me right back to then and it was fun to to l- listen again and, and uh hear things differently from a 35 year old perspective instead of a, a much younger perspective and some of the yeah, jokes land ask, a little differently i was gonna ask um now that you are uh rich and successful do you <laughs> yeah. do you relate to the show anymore or are you just like what are these people complaining about life oh, is I easy completely oh i completely relate to the show i mean uh yeah i th- i think nowadays if there's anything i relate to uh it's uh i wish i could go back to college uh mm. is is a big one uh yeah. I, I think i've i've related to that one for a very long time uh but uh yeah, I, th- I think it's it's fun because listening to this show, it's it's almost it's a reminder of what it's like to move out of move from college and go into the big city and try to make it and have these expectations for yourself. And through the course of living your life, you realize that life is neither as easy as it was made out to be, nor as hard as some people make it out to be. And you just go to sleep one night, you wake up the next day, rinse and repeat. Life goes on. Yeah, um, it's a beautiful show. What so what is what is your history with this show? With this show, how did it come into your life first? I think I didn't know the show. I I learned about the show through like a friend in community theater was mm-hmm. how I learned about it. Um, somebody was singing. Everyone's a little bit racist, um, and uh, I was like, "What is that?" And they're like, "Oh, it's the show Avenue Q." I was like, "Oh, okay." And so I bought the cast recording and listened to it and and you know, burned a hole in it. I thought it was so funny. So great. Um, and I grew up with, I grew up on Sesame street and Mr. Yeah. Rogers and lamb chop and all of that stuff. And so this show really, it really resonated in so many ways because, uh, because of its source material, uh, I, it, it's, it was written for our generation and, 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 you know, late gen X millennials, that sort of, that sort of, uh, yeah. that generation. So, it's yeah. it, it hits close to home and it's it's very fun. But I've yeah, never no, done it, it. I've never done it either. Uh Which is weird because I think in a in an alternate world, Matt, I think you and I would be cast in this show. You as uh, Princeton Rod and me as Nikki Trekkie Monster. 1000%. 1000%. First of all, we are still very young and supple. There is absolutely <laughs> there are and, and I have decided this year to pay my equity dues and audition again just for shits and giggles. Yeah, um, of course. Because, because I looked in the mirror the other day, Sam, and I listened to my sweet dulcet tones, and I really thought the world should see and hear my face, body, and voice. And Of course, especially your body. Especially my body. Um, listen, the, the one upside of uh, trauma and depression of 2022 is that now my torso is shredded. And yeah. I... And I need the world to experience it like I did. And so we've uh, repaid we our dues and we're going to go back out there. And as soon as I book, I'm going to say, so I don't know what this thing is that I booked. And I don't know what the other roles are. But Sam Seamock's going to come in and we are going to do the if you were gay scene. I don't know how it's going to fit in Mother Courage and her children, but that's what we're going to do. It'll be great. It'll yeah. be wonderful. Um, But I got into this show. So I'm I'm a New York City child. You know this about me. Um. Mm-hmm. 
And I got into this when it came out. I was telling my friend Adam this morning, actually, I was like, it's so weird because this was like the season. Maybe like I started getting into sort of like the Broadway scene of like what the Tonys were and what was up for stuff around like the producers full Monty year. But I didn't really know anything until this season. Like I would I only knew the shows that I liked. So like the year of Millie and Mamma Mia, I really just knew that Hairspray. I just knew Hairspray moving out. Um, and Bernadette Peters, of course, because I'm gay. But uh, <laughs> this was the first season where, like, I was kind of on top of all the nominees when they were first coming out. And I was telling Adam, like, I don't remember hearing anything about Avenue Q until it opened on Broadway. And it just sort of became everywhere. Same thing with Wicked. Like, I don't know what it was in me that decided I had to see Wicked towards the end of Broadway previews. Like, I knew very little about it. I only kind of knew Chenoweth and Joel Grey. And you say Stephen Schwartz and I'm 13. I'm like, yeah, I guess the Pippin guy. But something in me was like, I should probably see that before it opens. And that was like a very game changing decision for me. Avenue Q, like. It was sort of you would you would see ads everywhere that it was like all black with the orange fuzz in the middle that said Q on it. And you'd be like, what the fuck's that about? And then they started having advertisements around with photos of the puppets with um, sort of suggestive or explicit tagline so they had one of that was like just lucy t sluts cleavage they had one with rod where he's like i'm not a closet at home or whatever and they would talk about the full puppet nudity and i got the cast album laughed my ass off saw the show thought it was very funny uh but this was like the first year of the great debate of what deserved best musical like at least in my friendship groups and that has uh maintained in my life ever since so coming back to it and re-watching the show business documentary, I was reminded of all of that. Uh, yeah. yeah. So cool. I'm glad you sent that to me. It's Very a fun documentary. Yeah. And it's what a packed season that was, huh? Caroline or Change and Wicked and, and Avenue Q. Q. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, there's the drama of Taboo. Uh, and they don't even cover Boy From Oz, like, at all. Which was, I mean, that show wasn't very good, but still it was a hit because of Hugh Jackman. And they don't, like, even really cover the revivals. Like, there was the... Um, Fiddler revival with none of the Jews and assassins with like that amazing cast. It was, mm. it was a real good season. I, so usually with me at the Tonys, I tend to root for the thing that's never going to win. And that kind of happened this season. I had major whiplash because I saw wicked first and came out like the next day. <laughs> like I saw Dean Mazzel, <laughs> I saw Dean Mazzel do Define gravity and I was like, and I'm gay and kicked it over the edge. Pretty much. Uh, so I have a new cue a few months later, and I remember thinking like, oh, like, this is probably going to win. Like, this is the artistic choice. And then I saw Carolina change that May, and I knew it wasn't going to win, but I, I just was like, oh, no, this is this is the real brilliant show that no one's going to appreciate. And then I saw Light in the Piazza like six months after that, and I officially became an esoteric monster. But... <laughs> It's like the double whammy of those two shows just made me a complete asshole. Like I, I, I saw Carolina change and light in the piazza within a year of each other. And I was like, I will be accepted into Emerson college and I will become a douche. Like (laughs) (laughs) I know what musical theater is and what it's supposed to be. I know what intelligent theater is. Oh, you can't understand it. Is it too dense for you? You little boo-boo. Um, rewatching the show though, for this episode, I was struck by how sad I got watching it. Does that make sense? Mm, that totally like, makes sense. Yeah, just there's... I mean, the show is very funny, but I don't know. There's so much about, like, the heartbreak and directionlessness of the characters that I was like, 
God damn it. Like I'm, I'm just an open wound right now and I'm bleeding. Yeah, and then I laugh. So, which is so fun because it's, I mean, not fun, but it's, but it's, it's fun because it's a, it's such a satire and it's so, it's so silly and over the top so much of the time, but the themes are just so real and the characters problems are so real. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. that's the thing is like it, everything they're talking about is real. And that's sort of the whole, the whole way that the show came about was because uh, Jeff Marks and Robert Lopez met at a BMI workshop right. and they did, they came up with the idea of Kermit the frog singing a song uh, as if he were Hamlet. So it's Kermit right. Prince of Denmark. And that's how they met Rick Lyon. Cause Jeff Marks, I guess was an intern at Sesame street. So he had a lot of uh, Henson connections. And Rick and Lyon and made, made the puppets for that for uh, yes, Kermit and was and was the original Nikki Trekkie monster, right. and so he sang the song for them and did like a Kermit puppet and all that, and uh, they won they tied for like three other writers for the Kleban Award, and were able to get it to the Henson Company and they said absolutely not, so they were trying to figure yeah. out what they could do next, and Lopez had the idea like well he's like we all love Sesame Street what if there was Sesame Street for adults that like taught you how to live life and like deal right. with shit that sucks and that was sort of like the million dollar idea and originally it was supposed to be a, a tv special and they got uh lion to come back and john tartaglia and stephanie DeBruzzo because they all were from sesame street they got Anne harada because i guess amanda green of Compton and green's uh like adolph green's daughter knew her and they were in desperate need of an Asian actress. And like the story they say is like, because Robert Lopez is half Asian and they couldn't find an Asian actress, they were this close to having Robert Lopez play Christmas Eve <laughs> for, for the reading, just like out of sheer desperation. Right, um, right. But luckily they got Anne at the last second, but it was just like a couple of songs that they were going to sing in hopes of getting investors for a TV special. And uh, Jeffrey Seller, Kevin McCollum and Robin Goodman, said like no no no, this is a stage show you're gonna make this a stage show they get jeff woody to write it uh to write the book for them and what made it connect so immediately with with those producers and with audiences of the vineyard and then eventually on broadway was what you were saying it's like it's a, it's satire it's spoofy it's quirky it's funny but the comedy comes from a very real place like all this stuff it what makes it funny is that it's puppets uh if it weren't puppets, it would just be cute and kind of sad. But because it's puppets, right. it becomes absolutely hysterical. Um, yeah. I mean, like, who doesn't connect with the fact that, like, Princeton, you know, messy douche that he is, all he really wants is to find a reason to be alive. And by the end of the show, everyone's like, you may not find it. <laughs> and right. it's it's a very hard truth to hear. Like, you not only you may not find it, you may not actually be very special. Uh, and... I think we all kind of have to kind of have that in our back pocket sometimes. Right. And it's, it's so, it's so antithetical to what we were taught by the actual kids shows at the time, which is everybody's special. Mm -hmm. And, it, and that's not to, that's not to say like, Oh, you shouldn't tell kids that they're special. Like I think you should tell kids that, that they're special and that they should, you know, reach for the stars and, and try to make the world a better place. Um, and, uh, but at the same time, like, you know, uh, this this fake kids show that's for young adults that's saying uh, you'll never find your purpose you're not special uh, is the exact opposite of of that message of Fred Rogers and the like. So, are you familiar with Everyday Rapture, the Sherry Renee Scott show? Not at all. No. Wow. Okay. So sorry. We, discover See, we discovered that Sam Seamock is homophobic. <laughs> everybody. So <laughs> this is this go, coming on your podcast is is a reminder to me of how bad a theater kid I actually am. Um, 
because because my my nerddom only goes so far and and you remind me no i'm a freak don't 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 <laughs> don't worry about your limitations i'm an absolute disaster but uh i f- i want to be to broadway podcast what z-way is to uh gotcha journalism like i want to get all my broadway friends on and just constantly trap them and put them in corners so <laughs> sam Seamog, homophobic sexist problematic gotcha here, here we, we go, go. Yeah. I, I when he's out when he's on the road when he's playing jack on the road of into the woods i want y'all to boo his sorry straight ass anyway so <laughs> i bring this up because so everyday rapture it's not a one woman show really but it was sherry renee scott's show and it was mostly about her life she took some embellishments but she opened it with when she was she was in new york uh one day she's like in times square and i guess like this this uh rabbi points her out, it was like giving a sermon and points her out of the crowd he's like you walk uh every day you should have two scraps of paper uh on you one in each pocket one says i am a small speck of dust very amish country put that in one pocket and then in the other pocket the universe was created for me and it's Having that balance, I think about that all the time. It's that mm. balance of I have something to offer. The truth is that the world may not accept it, and that is fine. We are all special in the sense that we all come with our own baggage that is unique to us. We have our own perspectives, uh, but we're also not special in the sense that there are billions of us, and mm. there have been billions of us, and there will be billions of us. And as a human being. The two things you should try to do with the time you have is enjoy your life and try to make your little piece of earth a little better than when you found it. It's very make our garden grow from Candide. It's very, you know, don't have aspirations of like being iconic, have aspirations of just trying to do something better because be a good neighbor. Yeah. And won't you be my neighbor? And I bring this back to Avenue Q because I think sometimes someone like Princeton looks at purpose as like, well, I want to be remembered. I want to have something that's like mine that I've created. And in the end, Kate Maltzer is one who kind of gets that, but out of just the pure desire to do good in the world, not because she's like, I will be famous. She's like, I just want to help people. And so she gets a school all on her own, which I think is very sweet. She does also have a, have a realistic goal and she has something, whereas he has, he's like, oh, I need to find purpose. And she's like, I want to build a school. Yeah. Um, so there's something about having a tangible goal to go after and something about having this lofty ambition of like, oh, I need to make the world a better place. Yeah. And also, like, she has he has this weird feeling of like, I can't have distractions from my purpose. Therefore, I can't date you, Kate Monster. And she kind of she's like, the fuck are you talking about? Like, you can do what you want in the world and still have someone by your side. Like that's not a distraction. That's having someone in your corner. And he's just such a simple minded dum dumb to quote Lucy T slut penniless and well hung. That is, that is Princeton in Avenue Q. <laughs> that is verbatim from the script. Y'all. I don't know how I know, but I'm going to find my purpose. I don't know where I'm going to look. But I'm gonna find my purpose Gotta find out Don't wanna wait Got to make sure that my life will be great Gotta find my purpose Before it's too late
what what is a song in this show that you would probably play for someone for the first time if they've never been exposed to it before oh man that's a good question possibly everyone's a little bit racist mm-hmm. i think kind of uh epitomizes where the show goes what it does um yeah i think i think it depends on who the person is right so if you're if you're looking for someone who if you're somebody who you're talking to somebody who's like into the satire into the comedy uh everyone's a little bit racist maybe if you were gay um yeah, I don't know if you're looking for if if you're tar- trying to convince somebody who's not all about the satire and is is about a well written musical theater song. Uh, I don't know, fine fine line. Uh, fine fine line is a fucking heartbreaker. It's a heartbreaker. I was you know I was just listening to it more today and and there's just so much good, so many good numbers. It's it's not there's no weak point in this score. I don't think. Um, yeah that's something that i was thinking about when going through this because uh our i mean our i want to say our generation our sort of age bracket or the very small age bracket between you and me of musical theater fans when it comes to this season it's usually the argument is avenue q v wicked um i'm the asshole who's like don't forget about carolina change but (laughs) in the in the simple just logistics of avenue q versus wicked obviously wicked's the one that has been around a lot longer it is more internationally successful more of those songs are now in the public canon and i will have people still tell me like say what you will about wicked like it it deserved best score over avenue q and listening to avenue q again i was reminded of how good the score is because like wicked you know it's very epic and there's all this really awesome music but also (laughs) there are songs like sentimental man and something bad and right. often like some pretty shitty lyrics uh, including mm-hmm. one song that's not on the cast album wicked witch of the east that has literally um you're going to lose your heart to me i tell you if i have to i have to magic spell you not exactly the lyric of the year but <laughs> it's fine um and then also whereas- if you're if, if you're oh, sorry, no, go ahead. No, 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 no. I would say, um, whereas Avenue Q, I can't necessarily tell you that there's like a skippable song where I'm like, oh, that one's a dud. It's more, there are songs you can like more than others, but I think every song, for lack of a better term for being so on the nose, serves its purpose while also being funny or insightful and melodic. And if it's not as musically adventurous as Wicked or Carolina Change, it's not supposed to be. It's simplistic in tone for a reason because of the um aesthetic that it's uh emulating like sesame street and mr rogers neighborhood it can't afford to be uh an audaciously musical score because that would that would be robert lopez trying to show off and not be true to the tone of the show you're a little bit racist well you're a little bit too we're all a little bit racist i think that i would have to agree with you we're We're glad glad you do. do it's sad but true Everyone's a little bit racist. All right. All right. All right. All right. Bigotry has never been exclusively white. If we all could just admit that we are racist a little bit, even though we all know that it's wrong, maybe it would help us get along. I do think when you compare Wicked and Avenue Q, while Wicked uh, may have bigger, more epic orchestrations, and, and it is it is this this bombastic epic score, 
um, there is a lot more depth in Avenue Q for all of its simplicity. I think the I think the the themes are a little bit more deep. It's a there's just more to it, and mm -hmm. I, for that reason, I, I do think I totally understand Avenue Q winning best yeah. score over Wicked. When was the when did you last see Wicked on stage? I actually, and here's where I'm a really bad theater kid. I've never seen it on stage. I've only listened to it a million times. Yeah. So here, I saw it about a year ago for the first time since Adina Menzel was still in the show. So it had been a solid like 15, 16 years since I saw Wicked. And, you know, of course, had seen bootlegs of different performers in different moments, but had not seen the show from start to finish live in about 16 years. And what the score does do really well is that it kind of keeps the show afloat because so much of that book does not do the dramatic work that it needs to. But also there are songs where when I watch the show, I feel nothing just because it doesn't, the, the show has not gotten me to a point where like the song makes sense. Like for good is a wonderful duet, but at that yeah. point I never felt when I watched the show that like, the Alphaba Glinda friendship totally uh, earns that number. Like that song will make me misty eyed out of context. And then when I watched it a year ago, I was like, I'm dry as a bone. I'm not, I'm not feeling nothing. I mean, like, I mean, it's a fine line really, really is a gut punch to me, especially mm. now. Like, I mean, I, you, there's some life that you have to live and some, uh, there's no way to say this and not make it sound dramatic. So I don't mean to make this sound like Melrose plays, but like, um, like emotional betrayal, you know, where someone you cared about or you were vulnerable with does not show up for you in the way that you showed up for them, which is sort of what it's a fine, fine line is about. It's, it's romantic egg on your face of hard on your sleeve, putting yourself out there. And then the person you're vulnerable with just completely pisses on your leg and tells you it's rain. Right. Um, or worse doesn't piss on you at all. And I mean, it depends whatever floats your boat, you know? Yeah. But, and without piss, how can your boat float? But so. <laughs> and but and like, the song is, is set up by mixtape too. You know I mean? Uh, so it's, it's partially mixtape shows uh, a, that she's, you know, Kate monster is, is doing the thing where you're like, Oh, is this happening? Like, what is he thinking? And, and uh what's the word I'm looking for? She's projecting this, this idea of what the relationship yeah. is and what it can be. And you see Princeton in this scene, like, Oh, can I use your bathroom? He comes out and he's like, Oh, Kate, you might not want to go in there for a little while. Like it's, they're in very different places. 1000%. Um, and, and he doesn't, he doesn't recognize in giving the mixtape to her, what she's going to think about it. Um, he's like, Oh, I'm going to go make a tape for Prince for Nikki and Rod and Trekkie yeah. monster. And All the people. Yeah. No, yeah. he's, <laughs> He's doing what he thinks is a nice thing for his neighbors, and she views it as uh, an invitation for romance. And yeah. what I love, the humor of that song of, of Kate Monster getting the mixtape is just sort of like what what every song could possibly mean. So like the first couple of songs all being about friendship, and she's like, shit. And then all of a sudden we get these Disney love ballads. I've, I, there's some... This is where I find the show is just so funny. And part of it is in Stephanie DeBruzzo's delivery, um, which is she's reading, she's singing the 
song titles and we get to the part where all of a sudden we get the love song she goes oh my god go, uh my Sharia amor oh princeton he does like me i am the walrus like it's yeah it's the bad bottom girls <laughs> it's just so like it the way she just turns on a dime it's just like conf- i and i always viewed it as like her confusion because some people uh when i talk to them about this song and they get to that part they're like I think her confusion is just how random the next song is. I'm like, I think her confusion is that she thinks that he thinks she's fat. Um, right. Like, yeah. That, that's, yeah, that's totally. That's, yeah. That's how I always viewed it because they also make jokes about her size. Um, and so I always thought that was very funny. It's just like, and again, as he said, she's projecting. So like every song must mean something. And to him, he's like, no, I just like made a collection of songs that I thought you would like, uh, especially when, <laughs> when like th- there's two different moments where he gets excited about one song and she, doesn't give a shit and she gets excited about the song yeah she gets excited about (laughs) my heart will go on and she's like i love titanic is it was all right it was all right (laughs) (laughs) it was all right and then and then uh billy joel good night saigon from the russia concert and she's like cool yeah so they're not on the same page in any way uh but it but that is very relatable in a lot of ways uh i think we all have had that moment where you know we think we've been given like a grand gesture and in reality we've just been like given a minor compliment from a sort of friend let's see you've got a friend the theme from friends that's what friends are for shit oh but look a whole new world kiss the girl my sherry amor oh Kristen, he does like me <laughs> i am the walrus fat bottom girl The more I talk, the more I realize I'll probably just die alone, which is fine. <laughs> which is fine. I'm I'm great company. I like me, but you know, <laughs> it would be nice to share me with someone else. Don't you agree? Yeah, and I just hope it's not a cat. Uh, Fuck cats. If you um, if you're if if you're at the end of your life and you're in your apartment alone, no. a dog will, a dog will eat you too. You know, a dog will absolutely but they'll at least lick me first. Yeah, they'll they'll try. Yeah, I'll he'll kiss me before he on. has his dinner. Whereas cats yeah. are just like, and what? I I can't get on board with the cats. But <laughs> yeah, um, there's I mean, so god damn it, we're all over the place. I don't fucking care. Oh, actually, <laughs> before before we get back, what we have to do is take a break. Billy, I beg to differ with you. How do you mean? You're the top. Yeah. You're an arrow collar. You're the top. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. 
and we're back um that was such a wonderful break. Thank you so much, Sam, for your for your patience as I went and baked a pie during that break. That was great. This is a great pie. It's a it's a great pie. Eat eat the pie. Um, eat the fish, bitch. Do you know what that's from? I don't. August Osage County. <sighs> Bad theater kid. Bad theater kid. August Osage County is a great play, man. There's so many female roles for you. How much of the documentary did you watch of show business? I literally I watched all the Avenue Q parts, and then I was like. I should just I should watch this whole thing at some point. Yeah, at some point you um, can watch it. It's it's a fun watch. The Avenue Q stuff is fun because so I I know someone who is a part of that like critics table when they're at Joe Allen's and then they're at Sardi's and all oh, that. Yeah. And when they're like, how do you market this thing? Yeah, it's, yeah. It looks like it's for kids, but it's not. Yeah, you have Michael Riedel of the Post, who you know, <laughs> waste of oxygen as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> they're talking about Avenue Q, and Michael Riedel's like, yeah, that thing's going to be gone by January. And yeah, as opposed to 15 years. Or yeah. Whatever. Running for, you know, six years on Broadway and then another 12 off Broadway or whatever. Yeah. But that, I mean, that's sort of the thing is, uh, you know, every, cause it's so funny to watch how they turn when you eventually watch the whole documentary, you have to kind of keep in check with what those critics are saying because they all turn on a dime as the season continues. Yeah. Most of them. It's nice. Nice to remember that uh, a lot of times critics, uh, they always know what they're talking about. Yeah. Well, I the thing is that, and people would, would, would used to always give him shit, and I don't always agree with his taste, but I would always give him credit for explaining very uh, even-handedly why he didn't like something was Ben Brantley. I didn't always agree with him, but he would say, like, here's why I didn't like it. Right. And in that documentary, there's a moment where he talks about Avenue Q and Wicked, and he's very, I mean, he's polite about both in the sense where he's like, he's like, Avenue Q worked really well for me. He's like, I thought it was very successful. It really resonated. He's like, Wicked, you know, I thought it was kind of dull. Uh, but he's not like, oh, God, well, that piece of shit, it'll be gone by whenever. He's like, it just didn't, that, this is what I felt. Whereas Riedel's like, I predict. And I'm like, this is why you're not an actual critic or have any influence, Riedel. But <laughs> like, you have Wicked first, you know, like, oh, I don't, I don't know. They've got a lot of things to work out. And then it ends up overriding the reviews and they go into Tony time and they're like, well, clearly Wicked's going to win. There's not like, there's nothing that's going to beat it. And when Avenue Q, Avenue Q, I think was the first musical to open of that season because it opened at the end of July uh, and, you know, came in with very low grosses. No one's really talking about it. It got all these amazing reviews and they kind of had to ride it out for a while. And eventually they picked up enough steam where they were able to make back their investment right before the Tony Awards. But then we get to like when Carolina Change comes to Broadway and they're like, well, how are they going to market it? And like, well, I mean, Avenue Q is starting to finally do well now. And they're like, well, that's different. You know, that one's this kind of show. And and it's more commercial. And I'm like, you did not say that six months ago. Right. You said it was the opposite of commercial. Yeah. They're real. Literally, like, who do you market this to? The audience that they're trying to get doesn't see theater. I'm like, all audiences see theater if you can entice them to get through the doors. Yeah. it's, It's so funny watching that documentary and seeing avenue q through that lens of as it was happening uh because we look at it back at it now and we're like yeah that iconic you know staple of the broadway uh catalog and when it came on broadway it was like very controversial and risky which is so weird to think about now yeah i mean it's still i think it's and now we, we've gotten to a point where it's controversial again but only because uh because i think we're in, in sort of the 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 overcorrection stage of uh, trying to sanitize a lot of things that that people find offensive uh, yeah. for whatever reason, even if they're offensive for the sake of being offensive for the sake of satire. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. I think 
we're slowly coming back to it, but it's hard for a lot of people in our community right now to recognize nuance and when something is in on the joke. Uh, right. And people will also mistake being uncomfortable for being offended, which is right. – they are two very different things. I was reading this blog post from some British boy who tried to – decipher how it is that avenue q beat wicked for the tony award and why he thinks wicked is ultimately the superior musical because avenue q makes fun of racism whereas wicked is truly about racism because alphabet is green and she's treated differently for being green and i read that and i went sir there's nothing you're saying about avenue q that avenue q is not aware of uh and i honestly Wicked is not about racism specifically. It's about prejudice in general. Uh, and then, but also like doesn't go, sorry to be on the nose about this, doesn't go skin deep about it either. It's 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 a very shallow representation of uh, don't judge a book by its cover. And in fact, I would argue w- Wicked isn't even about racism at all. It's about, oh, I had this immediate thought about you, but then I got to know you and now I like you. Whereas Avenue mm-hmm. Q was like, no, you might get to know me and still fucking hate me. Uh, right. And it is not, and that won't have to do necessarily with my race. It's because I suck. Uh, and and sometimes people really suck when their lives suck. You know, unha- unhappy people cause unhappiness in others all the time. Uh, which is sort of Princeton's whole arc, I would argue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, you know, when if you're talking about racism in, in the in the show, you know, it is it it does bring up the idea that everyone is racist. That everyone yeah. everyone does have racism a little bit at their core, which is I I believe one hundred percent true, and that's you know coming from an Asian American guy who grew up in a very white area in central Massachusetts. Um, People should have heard what you were saying before we were recording this episode. Like the things that were coming out of Sam Seamock's mouth, I was like, my God, Sam! Oh yeah, oh man, I I might as well be Archie Bunker. Um, <laughs> Not true. It's not true. That is not true. But but no, I think it's it's an important an important distinction to make in a, in an age where we're sort of in this social media holier than thou. I've never done anything wrong, and my brain has always been one hundred percent right and on the right side of history, um, which I don't think is accurate. I don't think it's realistic. I think that everybody uh, should be a better person today than they were ten years ago. Um, they should evolve with the times and with education, with understanding. And I think that that's, you know, people, I remember uh, in 2020, there was sort of all this uproar uh, about Avenue Q on this mostly white Facebook group (laughs) that I I was, I was a part of, I forget what it was called. It was like a, it was like an anti-racist ally alliance coalition thing. Mm -hmm. And some guy went off about, uh, Ann Harada, uh, who's who's a friend of mine and a colleague, and uh, and I, I came to her defense, basically being like, you know, who are you to <laughs> to call her complicit in in racism because of her part in this show? Yeah, uh, but that's you know, he was coming from a place of like, well, I want to make sure that I'm positioning myself uh, to be the best ally that I can be, but in doing so, he actually. Uh, took a woman of color and threw her under the bus uh, behind her back. So, yeah. Wait, you know. this, was, this was a white person who did this? Yes. Yeah. Oh, I forget God. They can go get fucked by a cat. <laughs> uh, like, I... Jesus fucking titty Christ. I, I have no time for overly, 
martyred white people to come out and be like, well, as an ally, I'm like, literally sit down and get fucked. Um, <laughs> not your time, not your moment. Who fucking cares about you? Uh, that being said, as a white ally, um, <laughs> no, I also, I mean, also, maybe it's because as queer people, like, we've always kind of had to have a bit of a thick skin about ourselves and which allows us to have a sense of humor about ourselves like that is sort of what drag is all about right if you can't if you can't laugh at yourself how the fuck can you laugh at anything else and what i appreciate about first of all something i want to i want to say about avenue q about these characters and when people come for the christmas eve character don't forget that bitch has two masters she is a licensed therapist she is a smart cookie and when they talk about like the accent and all that stuff it's i mean it's not or at least in my when i watch the show when they have that song everybody's a little bit racist and she you know berates brian for not taking out the recyclables and she says it in a way that everyone can't decipher it and they laugh and brian brian brian's defense how many languages do you speak which is absolutely fair criticism and then everyone else's response was like we're not laughing at her. It was a funny moment. Back off. And then when he tries to be overly corrective white savior, he ends up being racist himself by calling her a super degrading yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And then, but then the way the show has its cake and eat it too is like she berates him for using that word. And then he's like, okay, I'm absolutely sorry. And you know, I love you. She's like, I know you love me. He goes, great. But we should, we should acknowledge your racist as well. She's like, oh, of course, I'm racist. And then she like know, blurts okay. out her racism. <laughs> like, yes, no one. We are all complicit. We are all racist. We all have our shit. So it's a right. matter of like not vilifying somebody for things that we recognize in ourselves that are absolutely there. It's about like, as you said, learning, evolving, getting better. There uh, is a drag queen from Drag Race named Katya. And she said once, uh, like, if you're not looking back on the previous year, totally embarrassed, you're doing life wrong. And I yeah. kind of view it the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I, I think you know, would this show get produced in the same way today? Maybe not, but at the same time, I I think that that would be a disservice because uh, I because because I think some things we can attempt to we can attempt to sugarcoat uh, or or sort of overplay our hands in, in some of these pieces now that are about racism, and it comes off as as overly preachy in a way that is saccharine and and not very palatable and this one actually talks about it in a way that while some people can say like oh well it, it kind of uh it allows people to be complacent and say like oh well everyone's racist but that's not really what it's saying it's not saying oh let's just let's all just chill the fuck out and be racist together it's like let's acknowledge that everybody has this this part of us because it's just tribalism is inherent when yeah. you are an ape uh on a planet that has just rapidly advanced so quickly and is now becoming uh, globalizing. It's, it's, you know, globalizing and, and everyone's much closer than we were before. And people are racist. And if we, if we arrive there together as a jumping off point, then we can meet people where they are instead of, like you said, vilify them and say like, well, as soon as I find out that you're a little bit racist, you're now an untouchable and I can't, we can't educate each other. We can't talk to each other about these situations we are all just toxic meat bags roaming this earth fucking up everything yeah. you might as well realize that now because it'll help you recognize who the actual destructors are um 
as someone who's never said or done anything wrong in his entire life, I can't necessarily <laughs> relate to this number. But what I can relate to is that everyone is learning because I'm always yeah. trying. It's hard to learn when you know so much, but uh, I, do, I, I do appreciate <laughs> that others are trying to learn. Actually, speaking of Christmas Eve and her masters, something else that I really kind of like about this show is that so many of the characters, like these are college educated characters for the most part. It's like yeah. them being directionless. It's not, it's sort of the opposite of Rent, where it's not these, it's not a clash of characters who come from nothing and are trying to work against the system and characters who came from something and chose to abandon it for the sake of being bohemian. It's a lot of characters who like did the work, went to school, got the grades, graduated, has have the student loans, and they're like, now what? And the fact that they maybe can't always make it, it's part on them and part on sort of just like the world and and not having the answers anymore it's a little death of a salesman if you think about it mm. uh, again you're about like dreams deferred and yeah dreams deferred and all that shit raisin in the sun death of a salesman mm. where it's like death of a salesman the general concept is like the american dream is a lie and they tell you you work hard you'll get rewarded and willie loman is someone who worked hard his entire life and like has nothing to show for it yeah. And it just sometimes it just comes down to just pure fucking luck that some people are in the right place at the right time and get the things and some people just never will. And there's no rhyme or reason to it. Like hard work and talent help a lot, but they are not the sole reasons. If they were the sole reasons, you know, there are some people who would have nine Tonys right now and some people who would be doing dinner theater forever instead of having a Tony award themselves. But yeah. You know, you you have no sway over who Telsey casts. You know, they they choose who they choose. But mm-hmm. that's sort of the whole thing with Avenue Q is it's none. Mo, these characters are not dumb. They're not without you know insight. Just sometimes things happen, or like they'll make the one bad decision that will lead a ripple effect into other things that make go wrong in their life. Like Kate Monster is a TA for a kindergarten class, and she unfortunately makes the bad decision from the bad idea bears. To have a Long Island iced tea and like oversleep and lose out on her opportunity to teach a whole class the next day. Mm. Of course, that then leads to her dream in act two with the with the school for monsters. But you know, sometimes it's just it's just sort of like bad bad luck, luck of the draw kind of thing, you know? Right. Yeah. Who so would you want to play Rod Nikki? That's the role you said you want to play? That's the one, yeah, that's what I would want to play. Pretty uh Nikki Trekkie Monster. Um, so, I, already, yeah, Nick, I already have Nicky sort Trekkie of Monster. a. I already have like the Kermit the Frog, uh, Ernie voice. Kind of, I, I have just a, just a touch of it in my normal speaking voice. And then if I if I sort of like add a little bit to it, then then I can really I can sort of you know rubber ducky or the one, you know. Can you say it's there? Can you say? Can you do um? He's like, uh, I love you, Rod. I love, I love your you, little Rod. laugh. I love, I love your, your little laugh. Nicholas, take off your shirt. <laughs> oh, Nicholas. And we've been fighting for one another <laughs> all those nights. I lay in bed, thoughts of you running through my head. But I okay. never thought. Hmm? Now, now I know why I have this. I, I was thinking, oh, it's, you know, Matt and I should definitely do this show. But I remember now, now that I hear you doing this, I remember because uh, we both had Michael Kreutz as a voice teacher in college. <laughs> and uh, we were at his end of the year soiree, his party that he would throw for all of his students. And I remember uh, singing songs from Avenue Q with you 
and and whoever else was was there at this yeah. party, Krista Bucciolato and you know everyone else. Um, and uh, I remember you. I remember your rod voice. Ah. Um, when I was doing research for this, I was so surprised to see that Stephen Aremis did the arrangements for this show. I'm like, this is a relatively easy thing for an Aremis show, but yeah. I guess, part again, part of it has to do with the tone of the show. Like, this is not a show where you're supposed to show off vocally too much. Right. Um, except for, like, Gary Coleman, which, speaking of songs that you want to play someone for the first time, I would absolutely play You Can Be As Loud As The Hell You Want When You're Making Love For My Grandma. I think that is a song that would oh, get yeah. her into this show <laughs> like none other. Also, I totally agree with that thesis. I think that's makes total sense. You can be as loud as the hell you want? Yeah, 100%. See, I like to be quiet. I want my partner <laughs> to be so confused as to whether I'm having a good time or not. <laughs> I want my neighbors to be afraid that there's a murder in my apartment. <laughs> well, in a way, you are stabbing someone, Sam. Oh, God. <laughs> Wow, we should have known that a podcast about Avenue Q, we'd, we'd go in this direction. Bitch, we went in this direction when we're talking about Pacific Overtures. <laughs> I think the best theater fucks you up. And I don't just mean, like, mentally unravels you. I mean, it's just, like, you walk out, like, energized in a way that's, like, it's, like, it makes your skin feel like velvet. Whether it's the kind of elation you get from a pure joy show like Avenue Q or, like, the producers, or it's something that just blows your mind because it's so audacious, like Carolina Change or Fun Home, or it's just, like, the loveliest warm bath like Kimberly Akimbo, you know? Mm. Yeah. Which I have yet to see, and I read your review, and it really made me want to see it. Well, time's a ticking, bitch. I know, it is ticking. Yeah. Maybe well, this weekend. You, you're still in New York right now? I'm in New York. I, I have, we start rehearsals for the tour on Thursday, and we're here for three weeks. Okay. So I, have my, I have my nights off for the most part, so I'm going to try and see some shows. Kimberly, 1,000% Kimberly. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think what else there is right now. Not much. Uh, yeah, so much just closed, like within the last week, and between the last week and a month ago. Yeah. Well, I mean, you guys closed, but you weren't mm-hmm. there for that. You, you, you avoided that sadness by going out of the country. Yes, I was, in, I was nice. in Thailand. That was nice. Must, although, although that was sad too because my grandmother was very ill. So, oh. you know, it was it wasn't just a vacation, but um, but I was I was eating my way around Bangkok. So, you know, which is okay. Speaking of, it's funny that speaking of things that hit differently in adulthood than they did uh, when I was in high school. And I was listening to this for the first time. You know, when when Brian introduces Lucy T, Lucy T. Slut. Uh, he he says, you know, live from her from her round the world tour, headlining in Amsterdam, Bangkok, and Celebration, Florida. Which, you know, back when I first listened to it, I remember Celebration, Florida being like the the, the joke. And it is the it is the punchline. It is the yeah. but not really understanding at the age of sixteen or seventeen uh, the context of Amsterdam and and Bangkok as well. You know, their their ties to uh, you know just hypersexuality and, and yeah. the red light district in Amsterdam district in Amsterdam. And obviously, you know, this, the sex trade in, in Bangkok, 
both like you know ping pong shows and, and the sort of the stereotype there which i did not i don't i don't go to that when i go to bangkok there's you know it's, it's those are that's for that's for weird tourists um, but... <laughs> we're so beyond you needing to like clean up your reputation right now we're no, so no, no. far gone yeah no it's, well. it's gone it's gone it's so gone you i don't go i'm i'm in them i i i am the ping pong ball i'm the ping pong ball yeah. <laughs> i am so small and so white that I get mistaken for a ping pong all the time, and I just get, <laughs> I get used in those shows. It's that was your nickname in college. Well, yes, also because I got knocked back and forth all the time between frat boys. That is, yeah. <laughs> I'm joking. Emerson had like one fraternity, and they were all gay. Anyway, I will also say Lucy T. Slut. To her credit, she is regularly employed. She's she is always yeah. working, um, and she, she knows, knows she her works. work. Yeah, yeah. I have I have nothing to say negatively about a woman enjoying her sexuality yeah looks at herself in the mirror and says i enjoy sex and i will have as much sex as i want until i either have my fill or i can't get it anymore mm-hmm. did you ever watch gilmore girls uh no i didn't i, wa- I watched a few episodes but i, had, I dated a girl in, high- in college that was really into it and so i watched a few episodes with her but i don't remember much such an ally but uh <laughs> There's an episode, I want to say it's season two or three, somebody in the town dies. You know, it's a small town, so, like, one person dies, everyone shows up for the funeral. And Miss Patty, who's the, like, head of the dance school there, she's, like, a bit of a heavier woman. She's very, like, she's, like, Rue McClanahan and Golden Girls. You know, it's very much, like, I had I had my flings back in the day. And she's with Alexis Bledel crying, and Alexis Bledel's Rory is, like, very innocent. And she's like, oh, Rory, it's times like these, you you look back on your life, and you and you're really grateful for the experiences you had thank god i had all that sex and i'm just and i'm like <laughs> bitch i hope to look back and say the same yeah me too yeah yeah unfortunately jonathan groff is no longer in merrily we roll along so i can't have all that sex right now i gotta wait till that comes back to broadway yeah 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 only matter of time when does that when does that come back not till the fall because they are oh. edging me like a motherfucker <laughs> Well, hey, casting, I'll be back from Woods in August, so... And I'm officially back with Equity, and listen, Daniel Radcliffe's going to be out some nights. They're going to need another, you know, somewhat Jew in there. <laughs> and I did Franklin Shepherding senior year of, of college. Oh, did you? Oh, well... Sometimes yeah. studio? Yeah, I wanted to do it first, and then Lefebvre said, why don't you try finishing the hat? And then I did finishing the hat. I almost made him cry. And I said, can I do Franklin Shepard Inc. now? And then he said, fine. And then I did. Uh, I didn't make him cry because I think two things make that man cry. And it's not me singing. But I almost made him cry. <laughs> this, is our, this is the head of our department at Emerson. A little inside baseball for you for a yeah. second. <laughs> yeah. Head of our department. He and I did not get along very well. Surprise, guys. I did not uh, gel with every single person I ever met. <laughs> Uh, I was I was very opinionated. Uh, so was he, and he did not like that. <laughs> <laughs> because you need to have his opinions too. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so I'll say this, and then we can move on. Ironically, <laughs> we talked about him as well on the Pacific Overtures episode, and I cut all. Oh of it. So we'll see if I. We'll see. We'll probably I, cut it too. <laughs> we'll see if I cut this. Um. I. God, I know I could never be in a cult because I was almost in a cult in college and it was the cult of Lefebvre. Uh, mm-hmm. I remember, actually, no, I remember the, I remember the moment he and I weren't going to get along, which was sophomore year, 
we had just gotten our studio acceptances and he was sitting pontificating to us one day in class, uh, you know, cross leg, hand on hand on the mouth like this, as you do. And he's like kind of going through the Broadway actors who we should like take a note from. And, you know, Bernadette Peters, number one, always and forever Bernadette Peters. Mm-hmm. And Hunter Foster, yes. Sutton Foster, no. Yeah. No, I remember his, that. His opinion. <laughs> yeah. He didn't he didn't talk about the Fosters, but I remember he said, well, and it's very casually goes, well, you know, and, you know, there's Audra, who's you know, just really all about the voice. And 20 year old me sat there and I, my immediate thought was, oh, we're not going to get along for the next. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I knew immediately. I was like, oh, I'm going into studio angry. And I did. I <laughs> I went in. I, I remember I remember he asked he and the way that uh, Emerson worked, y'all, it used to be that like it's not this anymore. It used to be you got in and then you had two years before they did a cut program and you got into what was called studio and it was more conservatory like training and you had to re-audition to do it. And then once you were in studio every semester, you kind of had a check in with all the department heads. And after my first semester of studio, uh, all the other heads were like, yeah, you're doing good work, whatever. And then Lefebvre was like, I don't know what you're doing here. I don't know why you're in this program. And I just sat there. I was like, because I don't agree with you. You don't understand why I'm here. Cool. And eventually we got to the point where he realized I was never going to agree with him. So he might as well critique me on what I was trying to do and not what he was having me do. Yeah, good, good. Yeah, no, it's great. But then I would watch all the the rest of my classmates have daddy issues and be like, daddy, do you like what I'm doing, daddy? And I'm like, I like my father fine. I don't have these issues. (laughs) This is my advertisement for not Emerson College, (laughs) y'all. Go, go. By all means, go. Listen to a man tell you that uh, there's no point to Kristen Chenoweth, to which I say, you're wrong. (laughs) He just didn't like people who sounded good when they sang. He was like, if you're really acting, you don't sound good. I'm like, no, you just don't sound good when you sing. So you don't want anyone else to. (laughs) But shocker, I think it's possible to do good acting and sound good. It happens all the time if you're Audra McDonald. Audra has never sounded bad a day in her life, and she's never given a bad acting performance once in her life. Yep. So, you know. Agreed. Yeah. Listen, she's she's not perfect. She did Ohio State Murders, which she was lovely in. That show was just dry as a bone. But she doesn't pick always the best shows, but she's lovely in everything. You know yeah. what she wasn't in? Avenue Q. But she did win a Tony. That's true. <laughs> in the sun. Oh, that, that we're talking about? Did we go on like a half hour tangent? Yeah. No. Welcome, welcome to the pod, Sam. <laughs> Relevancy? I don't know her. So... <laughs> I never understood why they had a woman play Gary Coleman in this, but I guess that kind of goes with the Sesame Street mentality of like sometimes you have, you know, panto casting. Yeah. And I, you know, I think I had read that originally they had actually approached Gary Coleman himself about about doing this. And he was initially interested and then they scheduled a meeting. And I think he like didn't show up or he lost interest. Um I can only imagine what the show would have been like if if the actual Gary Coleman were in it. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, she, she was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, and I think also because because of who Gary Coleman is, I think it makes sense to cast a woman, someone with a higher voice, um, so that you can you can still you know kind of sound have a voice in the same register. Um, but yeah, that, that was Absolutely. just such so funny. They they cast it with a man on the West end, which I want to know what that was like. Mm. Um, because so uh, pompous douche, Cameron McIntosh 
produced it on the West End. And according to Jeff Marks, he had a lot of opinions on the show. Loved the show. Loved it oh, so really? much. Cameron McIntosh? Yeah. Yeah. Huh. He, he had thoughts. Uh, and he wanted a man to play Gary Coleman. Uh, and the show actually did pretty well on the West End, surprisingly, for a show that I find very New York-centric. Yes. Uh, it ran That's for about yeah, it ran for like three or four years on the West End, which is pretty impressive because it doesn't always work out that way. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, do you know the, there's another controversy with this show when it was on Broadway? Uh, as you know, it, it won the Tony Award for Best Musical and Best mm-hmm. Book and Best Score. And pretty soon after they won, uh, they so they ran on a Tony campaign. They ran a very aggressive Tony campaign to the point now that uh, the Tony committee has had to make some restrictions to how shows can campaign. Because a lot of people thought that Avenue Q won from being a little too aggressive. Like, oh, I don't know this at all. What was this story? Well, so for, so the controversy goes two ways. First, it was their campaign, which was very aggressive. And like they wrote a whole song about voting. And it was Rod, you know, at the ballot box. And he's like, do I vote for my rich friend? Or sorry, I, I need to do my rad voice. Head. Oh, Nikki. Oh, oh, Nicholas. It's like, do I vote? I, no, now my Rod's just going to be on Carol Channing. God damn it. He's like. <laughs> Like, do I vote for my? Do I vote for the rich person, or do I, or do I vote for the one who's smart, who my smart friend, or do I vote for the hot guy? I Meaning, like, do I vote for Hugh Jackman, Carolina Change, or Wicked? It's like, mm-hmm. what if I voted with my heart? And so they, their campaign was vote for your heart, vote with your heart. Um, and they hosted parties for Tony voters, and they kept implying that they were going to tour. So they win, and then they announce, oh, we're not going on tour. We're going to open in Vegas. And a lot of Tony voters are, you know, manage road companies and whatnot and house national tours in their, you know, home states. And they were really pissed because they were like, we oh. were, we were not. There's a conflict of interest in Tony voting. Well, it, I mean, it, it also leads to this. There's, I mean, there is a, um, there's a myth that's not really true. When people ask like, oh, what's going to win the Tony? It's like, well, they're going to pick what's uh, going to be easiest to tour but that implies that like the road voters are the majority of Tony voters. They're not, they make up like 15% of the votes. Uh, They can help sway decisions if things are sort of on the fence, but they do not make up the overwhelming uh, majority. And you could also argue that they would give votes to the show that might be a little harder to tour by saying like, well, if you win best musical, it'd be easier for you, which is what a lot of people thought with like kinky boots was, you know, oh, this show could use the boost on the road because the subject matter might be difficult to sell in the Bible Belt. But if we say, hey, it won a bunch of Tony Awards, maybe you'll like it. And it's probably one of the more important things to tour through the Bible Belt. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how many uh, minds they actually changed, but I'm sure sure that Jesus freaks were not super offended as opposed to, you know, know, they were probably mildly offended, not superly offended. Uh, Avenue Q, though, they kind of implied they would tour, and then they announced that they were going to Vegas, and a lot of the road voters were pissed. And then they did eventually tour about two years later, because they went to Vegas, and they bombed hard. It was one of those uh, moments of being humble, where you think that you're bigger than you are, because they finally, at that point, became like a huge hit in New York, and everyone was talking about them, and they usurped Wicked, and David versus Goliath. I'm like, oh, great, like, everyone's talking about Avenue Q. We are going to sell like gangbusters in vegas and i don't know if you've ever been to vegas but the shows that go on there people could care less uh unless yeah. you're cirque du soleil unless you're barry manilow uh like phantom did relatively well there mama mia did well there but like i saw jersey boys there with my dad because i was uh too young to go to the casinos and like jersey boys was in the 
prime of its popularity. And that theater was a third full and people were walking up and down the aisles to go to the bathroom the entire time. I can right. only imagine Avenue Q. Everyone was like, why? Why would I go? Right. It's like it's a ticket you get when you sat at the blackjack table for two hours and they're like, oh, here you go. Yep. Oh, you, you lost Thanks 300 bucks, but here's a coupon to see Avenue Q instead. Right. <laughs> um, and... Yeah, it's so they they did eventually tour, but like that was one of the major controversies with them was the Tony campaign and then the lack of national tours, which ended up uh, working out in the end. And then when they did close on Broadway many years later, they moved to New World Stages where they ran for another 10 years. Also, another uh, so you there are actually two Into the Woods connections with you on this show, although I don't know if you worked with the other one. You have Miss Harada, if you're mm-hmm. nasty, uh, oh, yeah. playing playing your onstage mom anytime you're on for Jacques. Um, yeah. Were you, did, was, did Amy Gar- was Amy Garcia in Into the Woods at all when you were in it? She was not. So they actually played the same role. And Amy is coming back uh, yeah. for the tour. Anne is not going out on tour. I'd, um, I'd, with, with with you guys over there, it's I mean, it's like a key party because it was like, I didn't know who was in for two weeks and who was out for two weeks. Because it'd be like, SJB is like, I'm in it until January, actually, except for this one week in November and this one week in December. Oh, and by the way, such and such. So I'm always like, I don't know what swing party y'all are doing over there. It's like, you, tag team and out uh it's real hot man it's real hot over there at the listen, same James. milky white is a cum whore how else did she get so white that hey, she's, she'll only milk for me he's getting up he had to get up <laughs> i threw my mic like <laughs> like someone who throws their shoe i simply <laughs> guys have you ever been so angry at someone you know but unfortunately you can't punch them because they're through a screen <laughs> don't break your computer that's not racism that's hetero hate i hate sam Seamock <laughs> because of his straightness so much so very much you're not allowed to be loud at the library at the art museum or at a play but when you and your partner are doing the nasty don't behave like you're at the ballet You know, it's that whole like fantasies come true number with with Rod and Kate. I know like there's a lot of humor to it and sort of the fantasy of it all, but it is mm. a really sweet song. It's a really sweet song. I was listening to it earlier and was just I was like, man, this is such a good song. Um, yeah. So well written. So sweet. So beautiful um, for it also being comical and, you know, him leaning hard into the fantasies come true <laughs> right and then you the find end. out that the whole thing was a dream it's so sad it is so sad mm. good night nikki it's so it's like it breaks my heart um which then also leads into one of the funniest songs of the show while also kind of being heartbreaking mm. which is my girlfriend who lives in canada <laughs> it is it is heartbreaking yeah, oh. it's such, it is, it might be the best song of denial ever, um, at least in my personal opinion. Uh, like, I'm trying to think of, uh, like, there are songs in the Soundtime canon that deal with denial, but they deal with it in a way that's like, I don't know, they're they're more sort of like in the middle ground. Like, um, I always talk about with In Buddy's Eyes from Follies, how mm. it's a, Soundtime calls that song a lie, and I always counter, it's not really a lie, it's just a lie to the person singing it. Because the whole song is Sally being like, oh, in Buddy's eyes, I'm beautiful. And sometimes like, well, she's lying. I'm like, no, he does think she's beautiful. She's just so hung up on Ben. She can't see that her husband actually loves her, Uh, Mm. which is, you know, 
talk about wasting your life pining for one person when you've got fucking, you know, pillar of support next to you. Point is, my girlfriend who lives in Canada, start to finish lie. There's no truth in any of it. Yeah. And it's from Rod almost being outed by the entire group. He tried to confess to Christmas Eve earlier that he might be homosexual, but talks about it through a friend. Do you remember this moment? I don't remember this, no. So er- earlier in Act <clears throat> 1, so before, so Act 1 ends at Christmas Eve and Brian's wedding. Right. And earlier in Act 1, Rod confesses, confides in Christmas Eve, I have a friend who might be gay. And she's like, well, there's nothing wrong with that. Plenty of gay people have contributed to, to the arts and to culture. Like, the, it's a, nothing to be ashamed of. Your friend, has, your friend has nothing to be ashamed of. And she's, she takes it at full face value. She has no idea that it's about him, which I at, ties into the Sesame Street thing. We're like, no one's really checking the nuance. Mm-hmm. And he goes, well, my friend isn't an artist. He's a Republican and a banker or an investment banker. And she goes, oh, well, you know. Then you should tell him to stay in the closet because he's good for nothing. And, and she's, like, <laughs> okay. she's like, okay, Rod, I hope that was helpful. Bye. And so absolutely takes it to heart. Especially because he's in love with Nikki and knows that Nikki isn't reciprocating. And he overhears at the wedding that Nikki thinks that Rod is a closeted homosexual and everybody just wants Rod to come out. And rather than accepting the hand that is guiding him out of the closet, Rod buries himself even deeper Mm-hmm. commit so hard to the biggest fucking lie with this big old vaudeville number my girlfriend who lives in Canada which is very funny it's also very uncomfortable because he is he's got such flop sweat the entire time and something that is so brilliant in the stage show you don't hear it on the cast album but the stage show doesn't have a button whereas in the cast album it does which after that you know final line which I'll play for you right now <laughs> Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. The cast album ends with a bomb in the stage show. John Tartaglia just says it, and there's no button. <laughs> That is the he's button. Just, he's just, <laughs> and it is so uncomfortable. Like it is, it is pen fifteen level of like I'm laughing because I'm so uncomfortable. <laughs> well, what's, what's interesting too is you know going back to you know comparing Christmas Eve and, and Rod here is that you know talking about Rod being sort of a like a stereotype. You know he's a mm-hmm. oh my favorite book Broadway musicals of the 1940s. You know, yep. um, but. Uh, you know, when you, when you look at, at where we are in history, George Bush is president and you're having the conversation about uh, gay marriage versus civil unions. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, this show comes out of that era. 
And so we can we can talk about, like, oh, you know, this is offensive or this is offensive. But this is a response. This is a satirical response to what's going on in the world and what's going yeah. on in the country. And for Rod to have this conversation with his roommate about, you know, are you gay? Like, if you were gay, it'd, it'd be okay, is something that a lot of people weren't hearing in 2005. Yeah. 2000, I mean... Uh, actually, I mean, 2003 really 2003, is when it, 2003. that's when it first yeah. came out. Yeah. I came right. out. So when I came out, I came out at 14, but I came out as bisexual, as many of us did. And because the concept to a lot of us at that time was like, if I'm bi, there's still the possibility of being with women. So like, oh, the fact that there's a queer component to my sexuality is less intrusive to you because, hey, by the way, like women are still an option. But after three months, I was like, I mean, we're all we've all accepted that, like, I'm just gay. Right. Um which is harmful now because there are actual bisexual, pansexual, asexual, gender fluid, sexually fluid people. And I mean, I think the people who kind of have issues with it are the people who like don't want to think about all the facets to sexuality. Like, can there just be two things? I'm like, unfortunately, no. Uh, I'm so I'm so sorry that the world is more complicated than you would like. Maybe we should have a, an Avenue Q song for you about sexuality. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, it's still kind of that way for a lot of people. I mean, I, Sam, I could tell you stories, but they're like people today who you would think like would be much more comfortable with their sexuality in this day and age, especially like with, with the support systems that we have now and the vocabularies we have now who just are not, who are not willing to like actually uh, accept anything about themselves uh, that could set them free. Cause the other hard truth is like, once you accept something that will make you feel less burdened there are then other burdens that come your way whether you're whether you're gay or whatever and you know things like race or gender or things that people see right and that's something you just kind of have to deal with every day but sexuality is something you can kind of hide behind a bit Hmm. people don't have to necessarily know what it is you're about and if there are things you can do to make your life easier a lot of people are going to do it um And I think that's sort of where Rod is at is like, well, I'm going to do the thing that makes my life easier and straight is the norm. And there's so many things I can get by being straight. So here we are. Which is one of the, one of the great journeys in Avenue Q is, is, and so many, there are so many lessons in Avenue Q, right. About, about what you expect out of life and what you should get out of life and what you'll actually get out of life. You, You know, it might not actually be anything that you think you deserve and him, you know, he's trying for the entire show to be this version of himself that he tells himself that he has to be. Um, and it isn't until the end that he finally comes out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the world's, and he, you know, his world is a little bit brighter for that. That, yeah. you know, and now, and now Christmas Eve has a client and Brian has a job and it's not like their world has changed forever. Like having one client as a therapist doesn't make you successful, but it's a step in the right direction. One thousand percent. I think the show would be too much if everything changed immediately for the better, especially like with Kate Monster's school. Like she she gets the school, but it's not like it's this immediate success. It's, you know, it ends with her just getting it. And like the next step is she's got to start it now. Um, Yeah, she's got to build it. Yeah. And, and you know, Princeton helps her get the money for it. Mm -hmm. And he does this this pseudo heroic thing for his friend uh, that he fucked over that you know, in a, in an attempt to help her out and also potentially win her back um, as a romantic partner. And then, you know, he's like, so what do you think? You want to give me another chance? And she's like, 
you know, let's take it one day at a time. Yeah. And it's not, it's not the traditional Broadway story of like, oh, you saved me. Thank you so much. You've done everything. Now be my husband. You know, it's, it's let's, you know, I'm still hurting from this thing that happened. Maybe we can start out being friends again. And yeah. that's just, that's very adult and that's very real and human. Yeah. It, he really hurt her. And it's not only because not only does he break up with her at the end of Act One at the wedding after she rips the bride's bouquet out of a child's hands, which I love. She goes, <laughs> she's like, she comes off, she comes back on stage. She's like, Prince, and I caught the bouquet. Actually, like, a little girl did, but she wasn't very strong. And <laughs> <laughs> I just love that. Plus, she's also a monster, and there's a lot of talk about sort of the prejudice against monsters, mm-hmm. and. Uh, he realizes I need to find my purpose. I can't be distracted. And so what happens at the top of act two is he finally goes out of his apartment, runs into Lucy T slut and just goes home and has sex with her running into Kate. And she's got a great line where he's like, she's like, Oh, I see you made a friend. Is her name purpose? Uh, Because Mm. the whole reason they can't be together is because he was trying to find his purpose. He's like, she's like, Oh, you found a friend. Is her name purpose? And that's what leads her to have the song with Christmas Eve about like, how can I, love him so much and still want to punch him in the face and right. christmas eve is like welcome to love bitch right one that of the greatest you are in love yeah. yeah one of the greatest love songs the more you love someone the more you want to kill them and also <laughs> another great line where you go uh when she and k monster are singing sort of duetting with each other and it gives me a little bit of um every day a little death but sort of sesame street ask which is love Love and hate and hate. They like two brothers, brothers who go on a date. Who? What? What? The, the two go hand in hand like you when you get with somebody you think you're signing up for just love that is never truly the case uh granted you know it should be more love than hate uh right. it, sh- it should be more smooth sailing than work it should be more joy than pain and i will also say this i've talked about this before on the podcast uh something that i like that avenue q kind of gets back to and why it's good that kate and princeton sort of take it one day at a time is like we see these turbulent relationships in musicals and in rom-coms like will they won't they the passion that prevails and like it kind of it glamorizes those relationships in a way that i don't appreciate because Mm. that is not how relationships should work it should never be like oh god we went through another turmoil but we're back and better than ever i'm like no you should not be going through six turmoils a year like that is that is what we call toxic sweetheart and princeton and kate go through their very first turmoil that leads to a breakup and her response when he tries to get back together with her, as you said, is not like, absolutely, let's go for it. But more like, let's go slow mm-hmm. because that can't happen again. Right. And we, I want to make sure that like we're, you know, at a steady pace, um, which I appreciate. Also, I mean, Princeton's fresh out of college. So the world is big and new to him and he's young and stupid and well hung. So he thinks that it's all about the drama and Kate Monster. You know, call her a real housewife because she's not about the drama. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
trying to think what else. I mean, we haven't, there's so much we haven't talked about. We haven't talked about Schadenfreude. We haven't even oh, really yeah. discussed the bad idea bears all that much. And there are some of my favorite side characters, Mrs. Thistle Twat. She's a great bitstress. <laughs> internet is for porn. We haven't talked about that. Oh, at internet all. is for porn. Yeah. Yeah. Some of my, some of my favorite rhymes in the show are in there. I think just because I'm a juvenile. Grab um, your dick and double click. Oh, so good. So, so good. good. You can Sorry, just see them sitting around the piano like, oh, that's great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just writing just tons of them. I, I would love to see the list that they came up with that didn't make it. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's a ton. Oh, it's so good. It's it's fun to watch the bootleg of that original company because a lot of comedy comes from the element of surprise, right? So it's an audience that like, I'm sure they looked at the program before the song, before the show began and might have seen like the song list, but you don't expect that where the song is going to go when you are watching it and not looking at your program because it's Kate starting her lesson and it's very you know very classical music and it's about the internet and I'm going to do something a whole lesson about the internet and how great it is and Trekkie Monster just pops right on in and it's like nope what, the only thing that makes it great is porn and this is again it's 2003 oh boy did the internet porn age develop in the following 20 years like I don't know anything about that I was, what do you mean Sam, just kidding. <laughs> I know. No, I know. I know, Sam. But I'm I'm not I'm not playing that game. I act on stage, not in my life. So <laughs> the 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 porn that I was uh that was made available to me at that age of the time when Avenue Q was being written, we're talking like 20 second clips that I had to like of like one scene chopped up into like six different 20 second clips mm-hmm. that I would then kind of have to set up. So I would watch <laughs> and then when that 20 second clips over I'm like okay now the next 20 seconds so i could pretend it was a whole movie never th- or <laughs> or uh you have limewire or kazam bear share or something yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and you pray you pray you, to you sweet hope. suffering jesus that but it's good because movie- you just have the you just have the, the 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 you're just searching for something you're like okay cool yeah. i have a title yep you have a title and i'm hoping i'm hoping to the Virgin Mary that this is actually a good porno and not a virus or an advertisement yeah. for something or it's a misleading thing. Because also, because the way I discovered porn via LimeWire was I was trying to download episodes of Friends illegally. And uh, I don't know if you know this, but there's a lot of porn with the word friend in it. And huh. I thought I was downloading an episode of Friends. I was not. I was epi- downloading something else. And, then, <laughs> and that's when I realized, oh, you can get porn off of LimeWire and a new Trekkie monster was born. Ready, normal people? Ready. 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 Let me hear it. The internet is for porn. Sorry, Kate. The internet is for porn. I masturbate. All these guys unzip their flies for porn. Porn. The internet is not for porn. Porn. But like, it's so interesting about, I, I you can connect it to Rent, uh, Rent and, and Avenue Q. Because like a lot of the reviews talk about, and we mentioned this earlier, at least I did, the like directionlessness of both shows, the characters in Rent are directionless because like they don't know what the fuck the world is or what they want to do in it. They just know that they don't like the system, man. Yeah, and they're like trying to fight the system. Yeah, and Avenue Q's like, no, I have no problem being a part of the system. Just like, how the fuck do I get to be a part of it? And like, right. what and what do I even do after that? I'm not trying to break any. I'm not trying to dismantle anything. I'm just trying to survive, right? Because and they kind of are in the system. They kind of are in like the the day to day, live your life, buy beer, have a one night stand. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is this is life in the city. This is like 
this is this is your life mm -hmm. and you're not actively fighting it you're not you're not like achieving anything great in it that is the system mm. um I, don't, I have nothing more profound to say about that well but. shocker to all of you american citizens out there if you have a social security number you're in the system i'm so mm -hmm. sorry to tell you if you have a smartphone you're in the system they it is not difficult for them to find you the bad news is, this is where it's the two pieces of paper, one in each pocket. It's very easy for them to find you. The good news is, no one wants to find you. You're right. not, your, your phone conversations with your cousin are not interesting enough for Biden to listen in on. I'm so sorry to tell you, you know, right. Bethany from Louisiana. Um, they are spying on you, but they're spying on you to find out what brand of backpack you're most susceptible to buying on Amazon. Yeah. Yeah, and that's not Biden, that's Bezos. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Those are the oligarchs who run our society, uh, not the, the politicians who govern it. Exactly, exactly. Have, wait, but have you seen Avenue Q on stage? You haven't seen Wicked on stage. I have. I saw it on Broadway. I saw, I saw it at the Golden, yeah. Yeah, when, um, did, when did you see it on the Broadway? Oh, God, I forget. I was talking to my brother about this, Tyler. Um, and, oh, hey, Ty. Uh, yeah, I was just I was talking to him earlier today. I was like, we saw it. We didn't see it off Broadway, right? We saw it on Broadway. And he's like, oh, yeah, that was like one of the first Broadway shows that I saw. It was one of the first ones I saw in a smaller theater because mm. we had seen like Beauty and the Beast and Gypsy and 42nd Street. Um, yeah, but this was this was like. This we saw at the Golden. I think it was, you know, years into its run. Uh, I just loved it. I thought yeah. it was so great. I remember. Because um, it, it closed pretty early in my freshman year at Emerson and someone in my class as it was closing like went down to New York to see it and she had never seen a Broadway show before and I remember she came back and she was like you know I'm so surprised you know I thought Broadway theaters are gonna be these like huge theaters but like where Avenue Q was is so much smaller than the Majestic at Emerson I was like oh no I'm like that is not representative of all Broadway theaters believe right. me but, she was, but it she is like, also it is interesting too, like like having been on tour and having been on Broadway, mm -hmm. it's interesting to get out on stage on a Broadway house, whether you know, I did carousel in, in the Imperial mm -hmm. and uh, into the woods at the St. James. Humble brag. Humble brag, humble brag. But no, you, but you look at these you, you go out on these theaters and you assume that Broadway theaters are enormous. That mm -hmm. you're you're you know, it's Carnegie Hall or something. And it's not. It's you know. It's two thousand seats. It's twenty five hundred seats. About and you know if you for a Broadway house, yeah, it's not twenty five hundred seats. What is it? the The St. James I think is seventeen. The Imperial I think is fifteen. Oh yeah. See, <laughs> so so that's even that's even less than <laughs> yeah. I said. But you know, you, you go to some of these touring houses, the, the Ohio Theater or something, and it's yeah. these are like four thousand seat houses. Yeah. Or an arena like uh, a Kansas City Starlight or something. I forget how many eight thousand or something. Um, and so even you know even the St. James is is less than two thousand. Yeah. Um, and the Golden is much less than that. How much is yeah. how many how many? I think seats the Golden is about eight hundred seats, something like that. Oh. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And also not even that, like some theaters can seem big in the house or you look at the stage like, wow, what a huge stage. And then if you ever go backstage at some of these theaters, like the backstage situation is crazy. Um, <laughs> like the St. James, I know, has a very shallow wing space. The Imperial has mm. no wing space. I don't know how. Actually, no, I do know how lame is managed in there. But like the only Broadway house, excuse me, the only two Broadway houses I know for a fact have like actual wing space are the Lyric where Harry Potter is mm. and the Beaumont. 
Uh, and that's because both of those are relatively newer theaters mm-hmm. and were designed to specifically house like lots and lots of scenery. Uh, yeah. No, no other theater is like that. Um, and the Beaumont for being a Broadway theater is not in, in Times Square. It's not like, it's not what you think of when you think of New York Broadway. It's like, you know, 20, it's 20 blocks away uh, up in like this big block where they, they had all the space to do whatever they wanted with. Yeah. Well, the, I, I've, I know I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but um, I mean, and you've been to the Beaumont before. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, the Beaumont was originally designed to sort of be like our version of a national theater back in the 60s, 70s. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it was like, it was never meant to house one specific show. It was supposed to be like, you know, three shows playing in reps. So you know, like Tuesday was Hamlet. Wednesday was little foxes. Thursday was Macbeth. And so it was mostly just going to be the thrust and all the sets were going to be stored behind the thrust. And then that didn't really work so great because um, America's garbage and we didn't want a national theater. And eventually Lincoln center, well, the, the public, the public owned it for a while and then Lincoln center picked it up and it became this whole thing of like, how do we use this space? We've got this intimate thrust, but all this like giant backstage area. And eventually over the years, different directors and designers have been able to figure it out. But like, the fact that like there's that intimate thrust and then that football field behind it, that was not the original intention for that for that theater. It just has become a happy accident that that it worked that way. I didn't know that. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it's also crazy that like everyone gets their own dressing room with a heated toilet and and closet space. Well, um, the the uh, you know, the principals do and the ladies ensemble do, but the the uh, the men's ensemble they they go into the basement and there's one giant ensemble room for all the men. Oh, I didn't um, know that. Do we call that the yeah. orgy room then? Something like that. Yeah. Talk to talk to any of the men about that, and they might have some chips on their shoulders about it. <laughs> I'm sure. Well, I've none, I, none of my friends. Sure. Never, never, not never. once. I don't know if I don't think I know any men from the ensembles of Beaumont shows. I've only known the females, but I did. Uh, our dear friend Caitlin Frank. Hi, baby. Uh, she made her Broadway debut at the Beaumont and, and Lady. And so we went into her dressing room. I'm like, Caitlin, you're aware that this is not going to be your career on Broadway forever, right? <laughs> and and then like, she was oh, a swing and then she learned the hard way. Yeah. She was like, oh, you mean not every Broadway house has a safe, has a uh, locked safe in the dressing room for me to hide my engagement ring in while I go on stage? No, Matt, I had no idea that that's how Broadway theaters work. She like gave me the biggest <laughs> eye roll of all time. She's like, yes, of course I know this is a luxury. <laughs> And she doesn't give me eye rolls very often. Usually I give her once. That was the only time she was like, Matt, I'm not an idiot. It's like, I'm very aware that my heated toilet is a luxury. Uh, oh, fun, other fun fact. The music director of Avenue Q, Gary Adler, was one of the co-writers for Alter Boys, in case you didn't know. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, just talent up the wazoo. We've got Gary Adler. We've got Stephen O'Remus. Uh, Robert Lopez, who would go on to win another Tony for Book of Mormon and an Oscar for Frozen. Uh you may not know this. Jeff Marks and Robert Lopez had a bit of a falling out after Avenue Q. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't want to give all the details because they've been all very secretive about it. And anyone who's willing to talk has been only willing to talk off the record and in increments of information. But essentially what happened was, uh, from what I understand, Marks was not the easiest of collaborators for everyone on Avenue Q. Jeff Whitty was brought on to write the book. I'm not entirely sure how he was one who got picked because he was also kind of not really known, but he and Jeff Marks really kind of butted heads a lot on the show. Uh, then they all won Tony's and all was well and good in the hood. And Trey Parker and Matt Stone, 
of South Park fame went and saw Avenue Q and they're like, huh, if I have, if we were ever to write a Broadway musical, we'd kind of want it to be something like this. And Trey Parker loves musicals and Matt Stone does not. And the fact that Matt Stone like saw Avenue Q and super into it was a huge compliment. So they met with Jeff Marks and Robert Lopez on writing a musical together, which became Book of Mormon. And Jason Moore, who directed Avenue Q, like was the director for it for a while. And rather early into development, not like so early that nothing was done, but early enough that like the show wasn't in final stages yet. Uh, the general idea was like that Mark's kind of Jeff Mark's dropped off of the show and it just became Robert Lopez with Parker and Stone and Jason Moore eventually left and Nicola came in. But from like Mormon on Jeff Marks and Robert Lopez, like don't collaborate anymore. And they collaborated on a whole bunch of stuff, like small stuff. They wrote some songs for the scrubs musical episode. They wrote, I think for Sesame street, um, they wrote for a movie or two. And basically after Mormon happened, like Robert Lopez just, uh, started flying free. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's like one of those things where no one knows exactly what happened. And I think that's sort of part of the deal. Cause Marks gets some royalties from Mormon for keeping his silence. But mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like one of those it's one of those situations where everyone's like in hushed tones. Do you know the full story? Do you know the full story? Wow, yeah. I, yeah. I didn't know that at all. And I thought didn't Jeff Marks didn't he help write the South Park movie? No. No, no, no. Did he not I need to, I want to check this out. Um, These are not sound Mark, effects. This Mark is me Shaman. typing on the keyboard. Mark Shaman wrote the music for the South Park movie. Uh and then I think Mark Shaman was uh, gonna write music for them for Team America, but that kind of fell out as well. But Shaman, yeah, because yeah. Jeff, by the time Avenue Q came out, like Jeff Marks and Robert Lopez did not really have any major writing credits to their name. You know, they uh, they say in their Tony speech, Lopez was a temp and Marks was an intern at Sesame Street. Like they did not have careers. This kind of happened out of sheer luck and talent and hitting you know the right thing at the right time. Uh, but of the three of them, like. Lopez obviously has had the most commercial success with Mormon and with Frozen. All and the then Disney Witty, stuff. Yeah, a lot of Disney stuff. And Witty, Jeff Witty has gotten work uh, as a writer. He wrote the book for the Bring It On musical. He actually wrote Head Over Heels at first before it kind of got overhauled uh, by Michael Mayer later on. But he also co-wrote the screenplay for Can You Ever Forgive Me, which he got an Oscar nomination for. Um, and he's done some other stuff. But like they, no one in the in that original team has been a one hit wonder but of the three of them jeff marks is the one who's like definitely lagged behind the most and i'm not saying that to undermine his uh accomplishments since then it's just of the three like obviously the more high profile stuff has gone to the other two um Ooh. yeah and i mean the, and that cast because a lot of that cast is was sort of half sesame street people half broadway people where everyone's careers have gone have sort of dispersed based off of what they intend to do like rick lyon had no intention of becoming a Broadway actor after Avenue Q. Like he, he does puppetry and he has a whole studio where he designs puppets. And he, as you said, designed the puppets for this show and has probably overseen any like puppetry that goes into professional production since then. Tartaglia has done some Broadway. Um, But yeah, like of the original company, I would say like Anne Harada probably has had the most like Broadway success since then. Right. Yeah. I think Stephanie DeBruzzo sort of tried a little bit. She was in the, but then she went right back into puppetry and Sesame Street. She's done a ton of she's done a yeah, ton of Yeah, that's really more her wheelhouse. It's more her wheelhouse. But she yeah. was in did you see the did you watch Scrubs? Yeah, she's the musical episode. She's the musical episode. She's the one that, that has the musical running through her head. Yeah, she's got the tumor. I guess if someone doesn't love you back, it isn't such a 
Dawn is the Christine Daae of Buffy the Vampire Slayer because bitch keeps getting kidnapped. Like, I don't know what it is. She keeps trusting disembodied voices. And I'm like, girl. Don't trust a disembodied voice. No. And I said on my Phantom episode, people like to say, well, Christine has trauma because she's an orphan. I'm like, you know who was also an orphan? Annie. And Annie, if she heard a disembodied voice say, like, I'm going to give you voice lessons. Annie Warbucks would be, wear your legs, wear your arms. I don't trust you. Yeah. Yeah. Smart kid. Christine Dye, just thin and dumb. Thin and dumb. That's all. But real pretty. Real pretty. She can sing an E. Yeah. But that's Angela Weber for you. Women Mm -hmm. are are one of two things. They're either dumb virgins or they're evil whores. (laughs) Which one is Bad Cinderella going to (laughs) be? But you know what? Kate Monster, neither. She's not a virgin or a whore. She's she's definitely had sex before because she knows to put her finger there for Princeton. Yeah. She, She knows to keep it there. Yeah. After he says you can't, uh, and, and she goes further, she pushes that yeah. button to make him sing, and it's <laughs> she. He says you can't consent, put your Kate. There. Consent, Kate. But also, if you know what you're doing, I mean, yeah, it's she's <laughs> just she kidding. Just kidding. Him. That's a... <laughs> well. Also, it's one of those weird things where, like, it's so weird to say it out loud because it does sound rapey. Of like, you if you know they're gonna like it, you just kind of have to give them a little push. <laughs> it's like. <laughs> Oh god. But also like guys, it's simply a finger. And it and men's yeah. prostates are in their butts. So like, come on. He just he just hasn't tried it before. She just she just got up to the up to the nail. And that she's like, at least let me get to the knuckle before you tell me to pull it out. You know? Yeah. Avenue Q under just have her nails just done. Yeah. She got it filed down. She's good. She's go- yeah. she's golden pony boy. <laughs> yep. But uh, Christmas Eve is not into the daddy talk with Brian, which I appreciate. <laughs> daddy talk is not fun in bed because, again, as I mentioned with Lefebvre, I don't have daddy issues. I have a nice conversation with my father every week. I don't need to call someone daddy in bed. I'm like, I have a father. His name is Peter Cop. Like, you are not my daddy. Yeah, that's fair. Just letting you all know. Um, in advance. In He's going to talk about pooping and he's not going to call you daddy. I'm going to talk about pooping and not call you daddy. That should be on my profile for Hinge. Yeah, 100%. 1,000%. We haven't talked about Schadenfreude yet. Oh, yeah. And my opinion might be the most iconic song of the show, if only because it taught me some German. Yeah. Yeah. It's It's an important word. It is an important word because this is where, Sam, we connect this back to the fake woke allyship. And how everyone's a little bit racist connects to Schadenfreude. When I talk about how we're all toxic meatbags, everyone's a little bit racist, and sometimes you do get a little pleasure watching someone be unhappy. Granted, it depends on who the person is. Right. And when you see that they're a little unhappy, it's like, nice. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a real real thing. It's a real thing. To to pretend that it's not is... uh... Is foolish. And yeah. I, do, I do love, I do love the, the, you know, that it is a German word. Happiness at the misfortune of others. Oh, that is German. That is so German. <laughs> and listen, I am Jewish, so I get to say that, but it is. Oh. Yeah, it is. It is such a German word. I, in, this, in the same way that entrepreneur is a French word, you know? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. We're, we're all capable of being petty. And to yeah. and to admit 
to not admit it, to pretend otherwise, to try to sweep those sometimes less pretty emotions under the rug just makes you a bigger monster in the long run. I think. Yeah. And not not in an Avenue Q kind of way monster. Not a sweet monster that yeah. that's that we're not racist towards. I mean like Yeah, because that would be monster. racist. Yeah. Yeah. I'm talking about a human monster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um is there any character in the show that you think would be more beneficial as a puppet or more beneficial as a as a live action person? Oh, you mean like swapping them? Yeah. Oh man, I don't know. I think it's I think it's perfect as is. This is not something that I would I would fiddle with much. You don't want to Eva Van Hoppe this show? Yeah, it, when I do it, it's going to rain on stage and uh, they're all going to get injured as a result. Yeah, rain blood too, because that's yeah. what happened oh, to yeah. from the bridge. It, mm. it, it, it was blood in that glass box of coldness. Maybe it'll rain glass and then there will be actual blood. I mean, that that's be art. More, that is art. Raining glass would be more pleasurable than network. So yeah, go for it. <laughs> the world needs people like you and me who've been knocked around by fate. Cause when people see us, they don't wanna be us. And that makes them feel great. Sure, we provide a vital service to society. You and me, Schadenfreude. Making the world a it's a fun show. It's a very fun show. A lot of life lessons. Yeah, I think so. I think you know the the big. If we talked about we've talked about a lot of these songs. We haven't talked about all of them, but no. I mean the the big life lessons are. I think the big life lesson at the heart of the show is in for now. Yes, which is what. Which is that nobody has anything figured out. You might not get everything that you think you are worth, but everything is only temporary whether you're happy or sad so enjoy the ride because you're only on it for a short amount of time yeah i mean you know that's also the kimberly akimbo effect that i discussed this in my own play uh which will be winning a pulitzer this time next year but oh yeah there there there's a line that said which is that happiness is truly a luxury just in general and that's not like a, that's not necessarily a depressing fact it should allow you to enjoy it when you get it uh mm. but also no one's entitled to it because i mean just look at and we've never been more aware of the world at large than we are now because of just information at our fingertips so we see how so many people live around the world and people who are in much worse states than we are and people who are in much greater states than we are and you realize that so much that we take for granted is a blessing and then so much that we don't get is you know luck of the draw and you just kind of have to make the most of what you have you can always strive for better you always want to you know you don't want to be complacent right never be complacent but you don't want to look a gift horse in the mouth you know things that are bad are just for now but so are good things you know every right. so enjoy the good things and learn to ride out the bad yeah George Bush is only for now. I know he's Barack Obama dead. is only for now. Yeah, and Barack Obama is only for now. Uh, everybody's only for now. Yeah, we, everyone's going to die at some point. Believe it or not, we should just be blaring for now all the time, everywhere, everywhere, all at once. Yeah, it's it's honestly listening to it. It's just such a sweet 
uh, and comforting song. There's something about it that that it uh, it makes me a little a, not not like teary, but it makes me a little emotional. It makes me uh, a little sad and a little relieved. Yeah, well, I think that's because it is. Um, it's a message song, but it's not preachy. Mm. It's why, like I, and I've talked about this before. Uh, it's why I cannot get behind literally a single moment of the score of Greatest Showman, which is just these hang in there kitty posters the size of a Times Square billboard. Uh, right. Just meanwhile, you're sanitizing the life of a horrible. Well, that's, yeah, that's a that's a whole <laughs> other thing. But I'm like, at this point, you might as well just create a whole other story because you have completely fabricated the life of this man who was god awful. But right. and like turned it into a, a movie about be yourself, be yourself, be yourself. <laughs> but all those songs I just find so generic in their mentality. And the, it's the I call it the Bella Swan syndrome of you know Bella Swan from Twilight, where she's written in those books so blandly, so every girl in the world can think that they're her. She's like, I'm pale and I'm clumsy, and those are the only things about me you'll know. And I was like, oh, she doesn't say anything about hair color, eye color, height, whatever. And it's the same thing with these songs from Greatest Show, where it's like, no one's like you and no one's going to be. I am me and that's just me. I've got mouth and I've got hands. This is me. Um, or it's like, I've got dreams and you've got dreams. The stars are in the sky and the ocean's in the ground. Dreams. Like, it's just so generic. And I find for now, it is very specific in so many ways, because obviously we have references like George Bush, which I know that they changed at some point. But also, it's not, it's not like hang in there, kitty. It's just very kind of matter of fact. Like there's, so there's the line: each time you smile, it's it'll only last a while, mm-hmm. which is. As you said, like it's sad and comforting at the same time because if the bad, if the good things are only for now, so are only the bad things. Nothing can last forever. So, like you gotta make it through the storm at some point. Mm-hmm. And the only way for me to believe, the only, the only way for me to believe someone telling me the bad stuff is only for now is if someone also tells me the good stuff is also only for now. You know, don't don't just tell me what I want to hear. Tell me the truth because right. the 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 things that will get me through are the things that are like the hard truths, right? Um, my therapist, Colton, once said that uh, we only have breakthroughs and we accept the hard truths. If you mm-hmm. only accept what you want to hear, you'll never have a breakthrough. And I feel like For Now is a song that kind of does that. Like it's, it is a hard truth told very sweetly. Yeah. Um, and hard truths don't have to lead to misery. They can lead to wonderful breakthroughs. Right. Uh, like just yeah. enjoy your life instead yeah. of agonizing over whether you're proving yourself to the world or not. And it also, you know, the, the very positive thing at the end of this show, and actually it's a, it's the undercurrent of the show is that it really embraces community. It really embraces the idea that uh, the people that you find yourself around can actually be your lifeline. They can be the, 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 your grounding rod. They can be the, the thing that holds you to the earth and keeps you from, from being depressive in your apartment uh, mm-hmm. It can be the, the the thing that that when you don't know how to achieve your dreams, they go out and help you achieve them without you knowing. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's 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 a it's a beautiful message and it's very real. Just rely on on the people that you, that you find yourself with and allow them to rely on you. And 
even though everything in life is temporary, uh, as long as you maintain that sense of community, uh, you're going to be all right. Yeah. But also, that's the other thing about temporary is like, so this thing is here for now. You don't know what's coming around the bend. Like something else that's really great will come along as long as as well as something you know, kind of shitty. And right. that I mean, there's there's always something it's it's. You know, those it's that I just said that to myself. I'm like, it's that one of those sentences where like you can say it either way and it's either a promise or it's a threat. Like, it's, all, <laughs> it's like there's always something or like there's always something. And yeah. and you that's, don't end up with with your heterosexual roommate. He might go out and find uh, an even sexier guy version who of looks, himself who looks very much like himself. <laughs> yeah, but with better arms and with a job. And also wants to have sex with you. Isn't yeah. that the dream? <laughs> Sam, I am simply out here in this world looking for the buffer, gayer version of you. And until I find him, I am simply not going to be satisfied. You know, have you met my friend Marcus Shane? Because he exists. Well, I will now. <laughs> the name actually sounds extraordinarily familiar. Is he an actor? Yep. Gross. Currently in Aladdin on Broadway. Korean Latin, current currently in Aladdin. I thought you said Korean Latin, and I was like, "Well, first he of is, all, but I've he is never... Korean, you know. Well, yeah, he's Korean American, so amazing." Well, first, okay, mm-hmm. so he's in Aladdin, so I hope he's okay with the fact that when we date, I'm never going to see him in the show. <laughs> <laughs> I'm golden. I don't need to see it ever again. Uh, there's, there, listen, I have been so supportive of friends in their shows. I cannot see a show that I don't want to see more than twice. I simply that can't do is, it anymore. Nobody can blame you for that. I don't. I don't think anybody. Uh, yeah, I don't think anybody can. Sam, you know I love you. There's a reason I didn't see your Broadway debut. Um, I get it. I know. I, get it. I I feel bad though. I wanted to see you in this, and I didn't because you joined the show just as everyone decided they were going to go see it again. So I couldn't get TDF tickets. Oh to it. yeah, yeah. And I'm poor, so I couldn't do face value. I. You had the audacity to join that show when everyone gave a shit again. You didn't join in October when Sarah left and I could get a ticket any day of the week. Yeah, that was pretty cool, though. No, great for you. Bad for me. <laughs> Let me be very clear. Your life is only makes only matters to me in regards to my life. <laughs> hey, and that's that's kind of a theme in Avenue Q, too. Well, also, this shot in Freud of me being like, I can't get a ticket to your show that's that's reasonable. And you're like, ah. Uh, I wish I could say that makes me sad, Matt, but uh, I'm in a show that people want to see. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's nice to have decent grosses on your show. Yeah, you're mm-hmm. you're looking at me. You're like, so, Matt, have you thought about making more money? Have you thought about being more <laughs> successful? Because I got to oh, tell God. you, when I decided to be more successful, Matt, it really worked out for me. Right. That was yeah. That's how it happens. You know, you just set your sights on uh, on purpose. You pick up a penny off the ground, and then before you know it. Well, Broadway, before you know it, that same penny is going to go through the skull of the woman you last had sex with. <laughs> which, if I had a nickel for every time someone I had sex with almost died after. Or during. Or, well, yeah. At this point, I'm running on fumes. Um, <laughs> um, so, like, I mean, you're not, I know you're, like, you're, you are a theater person. You like theater. You're in it. Yeah. You're, yeah. You're not one of those people who do theater, Sam, and it's like, ah, I don't know, I don't follow it all that much, which I appreciate. 
I'm some, I'm, I'm kind of in between the two. I'm not, I, I, I like, I, it's like I, I, it's like I play baseball and I watch some games, but yeah. I don't, I don't know the stats. I don't know who had the best, the best batting average in 1976, yeah. you know, or should you, I'm right. not proud that I know this shit. I'm not <laughs> proud that I can tell you all the best actors in the musical Tony winners. Who the fuck needs that information? It's just weird how my brain works. But, like, you're not someone who, like, if I were to, if someone were to come up to you be like, oh, like, who's a favorite composer of yours in the theater? You'd be like, I don't know, man. I I listen to Billy Joel. Like, that's... No, no, no. I would say, oh, Stephen Sondheim. And here are my favorite shows of his. And here's the ones that I like the first act better than the second act or vice versa. So I am a nerd. Yeah. I am a well, nerd. I, no, I consider that you being good at what you do. Because I've said this before. I can't name you a football player if you were to say to them like oh who are your favorite players and uh, of all time they'd be like i don't know man i just play football i don't know anything about the sport like right. I mean, there's there are musical theater people on broadway who are like oh i don't know i don't listen to musicals i don't know who any of these actors are it's like yeah. you because I, I think it makes you a better artist to know the shit and i think it's it's sort of i think that sort of falls i think you'll find more straight men where that's a thing and not to like not to you know put down my own uh, category here, demographic, or whatever. Someone's got but, to. But but no, I think I think it's a sort of it's a sort of uh, attitude that comes from thinking that what we do is inherently childish or feminine. Mm-hmm. Uh, that it's like, oh well, it's it's lame to like theater, so I'm gonna not. Yeah. Um, and it's totally fine if you if you do something and you're not like that passionate about it, but. I do think sometimes it, it is an attitude that's sort of put on to say like, oh, yeah, I do musical theater, but I'm not gay, mm-hmm. you know? Um. <laughs> yeah, or it's like, it, it's the, I do it because I'm good at it and I keep booking work, but I don't know. It's, it's I, I dance through life. I'm I'm a fiero in a sea full of glindas. <laughs> and I'm sitting here being like, you are a pompous Brooklyn fuckboy, and I hope you <laughs> choke on some arsenic. But I say this just because like, have you had conversations with people about these kind of things about like the Avenue Q versus wicked sort of dichotomy of like the merits of two different shows and what, what one brings to the table, what one doesn't, which one is maybe more worthy because that's sort of the, the fun thing about Tony awards in general that they're not really real. No award is real. Um, But there is a statistic you can point to and be like, this was awarded the best of the year. Do you agree? Because then that right. can lead to a whole other conversation. Yes. And some will say, I do agree. Some will say, I don't. And then you can have that wonderful argument. As opposed to like, when you say, when two people come together, like, well, I think this show is better. I think that show is better. That's one kind of argument. But when it comes down to, do you think it deserved this title that we're referring to? There's like right. a meeting point, which I appreciate. Yeah. yeah. Yes. No, I, I think that's, I like that. I do. I like having those conversations. And, and that's why I like being on this podcast. And it's, it's fun to to nerd out about these things with you, Matt. Because thank you. Um, yeah, because because you and and it does pull me. It pulls the 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 theater nerd in me out even further. Uh, then then you know when I talk to most of my friends about it, like my closest friends, most of them are are either not no longer involved in theater or they never were professionally involved in theater. And so I I do have these these conversations once in a while, but uh, more so with other theater folks and not necessarily with like my closest friends. And uh, so I do, I do appreciate having these conversations. 
Well, also because we have these conversations and yes, we get scholarly, but also we talk about butt stuff. And that is the only way to really talk about musicals, yeah. in my opinion. I think we that's the only have... way to talk about anything. I think uh, there's, there's, I don't think you can take anything too seriously, but especially when the thing that you're taking seriously is like, you know, uh, speaking until the emotion gets so great that you have to sing until the emotion gets so great that you have to dance. Uh, you know, there's only, there's only so serious that you can get about it yeah. um, before you can talk about poop. Yeah. Have I not told you the story of when I explained what poppers were to my grandmother? No, please. <laughs> no, it's not. I mean, it's not much of a story. Uh, I was out to dinner with her and my cousin and my cousin said something and I made some random comment about poppers and my now 99 year old grandmother. I think she was 93 at the time. She said, what are poppers? And my cousin said, excuse me, I'm going to go to the bathroom now. And so he left. And I was left to explain to my grandmother what poppers were. Luckily, Scott had ordered donuts for the table. So those donuts arrived. And I grabbed the donut. And I took a knife. And I said, Grandmama, you're aware how the homosexual has intercourse. Yes? Because I know how that works. I went, great. said, so in case you didn't know, that can be difficult sometimes. I said, poppers are sort of like nail polish that you sniff. They give you a little bit of a high, but more importantly, they do this to the reciprocant, uh, recipient of the homosexual sex. And I took a knife, I made a slice in the donut, and I took the donut and I expanded it just a little bit. So it makes that person a little more receptive to the pleasures of intercourse. I said, do you understand? Without the without the incision. Without the incision, Hopefully. yes. Yeah. Yes. It does not cut you. No, that comes from <laughs> that that comes from the stabbing that you get later, which we discussed earlier, Sam. Oh. <laughs> Next, I listen. Next time you have sex, I because I know anytime that I have sex, it's all I'm thinking about. Next time you have sex, I want you to just think about yourself stabbing the other person over and over. Jack, oh man, man, I hope that doesn't happen. I'm knocking on wood. I hope you I never have sex that. either. Either, I don't want that. that for you. Oh, <laughs> I think the best artists are celibate. Hans Christian yeah, Andersen, man, definitely never the best the priests. The, well, no. The difference between priests and Broadway actors is on Broadway, you're not always around children. So it's a lot easier to just be celibate and not problematic. Right. Channel channel that sexual energy into your art and not into uh, you know, pedophilia. Pedophilia. Yeah. 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 Unless you're doing doubt, but that child's never actually on stage. He's just referred to. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or I guess how I learned to drive. But again, that's Mary Louise Parker, not an actual child. That's and that's acting. That's just, again, that's your art. We don't want to get into that part. The, the pedophilia <laughs> might be the one taboo subject. Yeah, let's, that not... yeah, we can forgive some like some subtle uh, racism that everybody has in their core, but let's let's not assume that everyone has a bit of pedophilia in them and uh, and forgive that. <laughs> did you ever did you ever watch um, Community? I did not. I've, I've seen a few episodes. It's another one that I've seen. Yeah, so. that's, it's a hard show to recommend because like it starts off okay and then gets amazing and then just gets terrible. But um, there's an episode with Britta at one point where she, she's like, I can excuse racism, but I draw the line at animal cruelty. And Yvette Nicole Brown goes, you could you excuse racism? And <laughs> I feel like with Avenue Q, it's like, I, it's like, I can excuse all the jokes about racism, but I draw the line at pedophilia. It's like, you can excuse the jokes about racism? <laughs> Uh, fun times. No, it's a good show. It's a good show. And what makes it even better is that no one's a pedophile in it. It's true. 
In fact, there's no children at all in Avenue Q. That makes it even better. Yep. Yeah. It's my, it's my one problem with Carolina Change. There are too many goddamn children in that show. <laughs> I think this is a good time as any to close up shop because God, if, if you and I, if you and I keep going at the rate we're going, we're no, we're not only are we no longer going to talk about Avenue Q. We're going. Who knows what the fuck we're going to talk about? You're going to lose all your sponsors pretty soon. Oh God, no! I probably lost all my sponsors years ago. <laughs> um, Sam, before we close up shop, we have a game now. Ooh, a game. We have a game. The first is called Six Degrees of Sally Murphy. The other game, and again, it's the same game. It's called Who Lives, Who Dies, Janine Tesori. And it's just Six Degrees of Janine Tesori. Now, what we do is we take Avenue Q, original cast and production team, and we have to find a way through Six Degrees to get to Sally Murphy, as well as getting to Janine Tesori. So we can use writers, we can use actors of the original company, design people, um, and same thing as we do Six Degrees. So it can be like, oh, so and so is in this show, designed by so and so who designed this. Mm, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be bad at this. You're gonna help me, right? Oh, absolutely. Well, okay. We can get to Janine Desori one, two, bam. Pretty, pretty easily, yeah, I would say. Um, well, I would say I would either go for From Avenue Q. If we're talking actors, I would either go Anne Harada or. You know, I see here that the on the first national tour, you know, who played Princeton Rod? Who? Rob McClure. I know he did it on Broadway. I didn't know he did the tour. That's fun. Yeah. So I go, oh, he did it on Broadway too. Then I think, you know, he probably has a lot of, like, well, there are so a lot I'll, of degrees. He's a, got a lot so, of degrees. So I'll say this. In Avenue Q, we have John Tartaglia. Mm-hmm. We also have director Jason Moore. Who, fun mm. fact, I worked with right before Avenue Q moved to Broadway because he was the resident director for Les Miserables. And that show closed on Broadway in May of 2003. And when they closed, they did a sort of celebratory uh, performance on the stage at the end where uh, they ha- they got together about 30 kids who had done the high school edition of Les Mis at that point. And we did a medley from the show and we all got to represent different parts in the show. I uh, was in it with Adam Chandler Barat and Kristen Milioti and Skylar Aston. Skylar played uh, Javert and sang stars. I think Kristen and Adam were just the ensemble. I got to represent Anjara. Pretty cool. But Jason uh, was a point of contact for us because he was the resident director for Les Mis. And then when Avenue Q opened a few months later, I was like, I met him. So Jason Moore also directed Shrek, which also starred John Tartaglia. Oh, uh uh-huh. And Janine Tesori. Yes, Janine, sorry yeah. about that. I mean, we could, if so we wanted we to go further, yeah. if we wanted to go deeper, wanted to, if we really want, if we really wanted to stab this game in the, in the lower intestine, if we really wanted to feng shui its guts, uh, <laughs> is that not how? <laughs> <laughs> just rearrange. Yeah, we just need to make sure that everything. There's a lot of flow here. That is, so. <laughs> it's not going to be. This is not TMI because Lord knows the next time I'll ever have sex, but. Should I ever decide to be the recipient ever again in my life? I know people like bottoms to say daddy. I will not say that. In fact, I will go further and I will say feng shui my guts, baby. And that <laughs> will absolutely <laughs> send them running. They'll put on their pants and they'll go away. And that is I don't how know. I they get... might it might just saying that as soon as this airs, you might want to check your DMs. <laughs> uh, that's when John Tartaglia slips into my DMs. But uh <laughs> No, he's going to be like, how dare you steal my line? But 
I mean, if we really wanted to kind of go deep, we could go further than Jason Moore or John Tartaglia. We could go, uh, if we wanted to do Anne Harada to get to Janine Desori, Anne Harada was in Susicle with Casey Nicola, who was in Thoroughly Modern Millie that had half a score composed by Janine Desori. Mm. That is one. That is absolutely one. Uh, or what's another show Anne did? <laughs> And uh, just done all the things. Uh, she was in uh, Cinderella. Doing well. Harriet Harris was also in Cinderella, and she did Millie. It's okay. We we got Millie. We got trope. We got plenty of yeah. story connections. Okay. Uh, so this I don't expect you to know Sally Murphy's theater credits like I do. So I'm going to give you a list of her theater credits, and you tell me which one for we want to end up with. The 94 Carousel, the Lacusa Wild Party. Uh, Fiddler on the Roof with Alfred Molina, which was actually the same season on Broadway. Hmm. Uh, the Minutes. She was just in The Minutes. Uh, uh, Bernarda, uh, Bernarda Alba. No, but not Bernarda Alba. Um, you know, Bernarda. Bernarda Alba uh, off-Broadway or Man of No Importance off-Broadway at Lincoln Center. You know, let's go. Let's have a little, let's have a little fun. Go some cross- some cross uh, media here. Uh, let's say Alfred Molina Fiddler. Fiddler? Okay. Or Alfred Molina in Spider-Man 2 with Rosemary Harris. Wait, what? Alfred Molina was Doc was Dr. Octopus in uh, or Dr. Yes, I know, I know. Otto Octavius. I know. I might be the only person. I granted I haven't seen the movie since it came out. I might be one of the few people that did not like Spider-Man 2. Oh, I, didn't, I, I no, I, I didn't. Oh no, I like Spider Man too. Most this people is... do. I just remember laughing out loud when Kirsten Dunn said, "And here I am standing in your doorway. I've always been standing in your doorway." And I'm like, "Let's." <laughs> I'm like, "Another right, creep." The... Yeah, way to go, and like, way to way to co opt queer culture. Kirsten Dunn's talking about backdoor, but so. <laughs> so you want me to okay? So you want me to get to Alfred Molina and Fiddler with Sally Murphy through Spider Man Two? That's what you want me to do. Yeah, well, so Rosemary Harris was in Spider-Man 2. She was... Yes, she I know at, she was. Uh, yeah. She's the, so was Donna the, Murphy. Wait, was Donna... Donna Murphy was in Spider-Man 2? She's his wife who bites it early. Oh! Wow. Oh, I haven't seen wow. that movie since, since becoming a, a total theater nerd. I knew... Well, I, when I saw Alfred Molina, I saw his, like him do... saw a clip of him doing uh-huh. Rich Man, and I was like, oh, Stockock. Stockock. Um, okay. <laughs> Okay. Okay. I got it. I got it. Jason Moore directed a Broadway revival of Steel Magnolias. Yes, he did. Starring Christine Brand, uh, Christine Ebersol. Christine Ebersol was in Warpaint with John Dossett. John Dossett was in Hello Again with Donna Murphy, who is in Spider-Man 2 with Alfred Molina, who is in Fiddler uh-huh. on the Roof. With Sally Murphy. Bing, bang, boom. There we go. Wow. I am a freak of nature. I don't like that I can do this, but here we are. <laughs> it's excellent. Oh. Yeah. I don't understand my brain. I wish I could make it compute human emotions. <laughs> I wish it could make me compute math and law so I could have a career that paid money. But That'd be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah. I have a cousin who's a lawyer. I've got a cousin who's an anesthesiologist. I've got a sister who's in finance. And I'm like, how do I make my brains work like your brains? 
because I know I'm smart. It's just my brain works for things that don't matter. Yeah, man, it would be nice. Yeah, law or accounting or finance or what? I would love nothing more than to be a lawyer, but like a lawyer in a TV show. Yeah, that's it. Anyway, that's that's all. That's all true. <laughs> Sam, this has been lovely. Matt, so nice. It's always fun. There's it's always a good time. Where can people find you if you want them to find you? Uh, find me on Instagram. I got rid of my Twitter. I, you know, this is I got rid of Twitter before Elon Musk took over. I was ahead of the curve. Um, but uh, I'm on Instagram at Soapbox Sam. Uh, I have a website, samsemach.com, S-I-M-A-H-K. In case I spell uh, it wrong for this episode, guys. (laughs) A lot of times, you know, some people will think it's H-A-K, but it's A-H-K. It's all fairly phonetic, kind of. The Mm -hmm. I is an E, you know. Um, But, uh, yeah, and, and I'm about to tour the country for the next six months with Into the Woods. So come out and see us. We'll be in uh la for a month dc for a month chicago for a couple of weeks boston philly uh charlotte orlando a bunch of places uh, amsterdam bangkok celebration florida perfect there it is mm-hmm. um if you want to follow me anywhere instagram only matt Koplik, usual spelling if you like the podcast uh rate us review us subscribe to us tell your friends tell your loved ones if you don't like the podcast tell your enemies and make them sit down for all nine hours of my episodes uh we close out every episode with a uh, Robbie Diva. Now, the last time you were here, Sam, you had us close out with Anne Harada, and we simply oh, and cannot we close can't. out with her again. Yeah. Uh, so you blew your wad all over Pacific Overtures, and Dang. so now we're left with a bit of a bukkake mess on our hands. So we got to find another Diva Avenue Q related. Can can we do can we do Stephanie DeBruzzo? We could, if we wanted to do. Uh, one of her bits from the Scrubs episode. From, yeah, that's what I was thinking. From the Scrubs episode. Uh, Does she have a long period where she sings that's like not sad? Because I know she has that one bit where sad, she's like, like, "Yeah, what's going to happen?" Yeah, where she's very sad because she's like, "I've got a tumor." She's like, "In case everyone anyone forgot, I have a tumor." Um, like, does she have a patter song? Why are you singing? Wait, why am I singing? Something. There's got to be something like that. Yeah. There's got to be a morning after. Uh, or. Or, or, how about, I'm trying to think of anyone else who, like, went into this show for a bit. Weirdly, Christy Carlson Romano played Kate Monster for, like, a hot second, so we could do the whole We Went to the Moon in 1969 uh, from even Stevens. Not 1968, but a year but a year later. Uh, or it could be her as 13-year-old Mary Fagan singing Picture Show. But, I don't know. I guess we could do DeBruzzo, or we could do. We do Natalie Venetia Belkin, who is the. Yeah, uh, I'm trying to think of like Gary other. Coleman. I'm trying to think of other people who went into this show for a minute that uh, we don't know about. Like, who are some other fun replacements? Um, or you know what? Because we know that she's on the cast album. Amy Garcia was an understudy in the original company. We could have her Jack, 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 head in the sack bit for the Into the Woods cast recording. Close out with Miss Garcia. Yeah, there we go. And that'll be and that'll be advertising too for uh for the Into the Woods tour because she's I, gonna be she's gonna be there. What what's that word again? Synergy? That is that <laughs> is that's the right word, right? I use the right word there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great. See, know. now you you could be in the corporate world. Oh, absolutely. I've got no heart. I just don't, I just need to know what the words are. <laughs>
not not so i know what i'm doing but just so i don't get into legal trouble but right yeah but i don't know i feel like i could fake my way till i make it yeah okay so we'll close out with amy garcia fantastic uh, join good. us I next like yeah join us next week for god knows what because we're recording this whole thing out of order and i don't know anything anymore and i i god i just need to take a shower at this point it is going on 4 30 sam <laughs> so can, do i <laughs> i can smell my hands and that is not great so <laughs> anyway unless yeah, you just ate subway you ate subway unless you just ate subway that's the only time you should be able to smell your hands and even then it's not a comforting thing no well i didn't know i washed my hands so i guess i still smell the soap a bit but i you should be able to do more things in the world after you've washed your hands that you can't smell the soap three hours later I don't mean that you know, sexual. I just to, mean like talk I mean, to Trekkie Monster about that one. Well, no, that's just that's just moisturizer. That also smells great. I just mean like going out <laughs> and touching grass. Like, like I should be able to touch grass at this point, or meet Jesus, or something. Jesus Christ. Okay, so once again, join us next week for God knows what. Sam has been a pleasure, and yeah, have a great week, y'all. I hope that we didn't burn you out with our games. I swear to God, we weren't stoned for this. We just. <laughs> It's just been a long day, and Sam and I get into craziness when we talk too much. Uh, and take us away, Amy. Bye! Jack, 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 head in a sack. The house is getting colder. This is not a time for dreaming. Chimney stack starting to crack. The mice are getting bolder. The floor's gone slack. Your mother's getting older. Your father's not back. And you can't just sit here dreaming. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hi, this is Will Friedle. In a world that sometimes feels uncertain, where communities can be disconnected, there are beacons of hope in your neighborhood. Introducing Neighbor to Neighbor, a California volunteers network. They believe that the people living all around you are your best bet at creating meaningful social bonds and preparing you for the next big weather event. 
Whether it's lending a helping hand to a neighbor in need or standing together in times of natural disaster, Neighbor to Neighbor empowers you to grow your community. Visit caneighbors.com to learn how you can help build a more connected community. Neighbor to Neighbor. It takes a neighborhood.